follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. <clears throat> I am Shad with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing fine and good, Shad. Well, I don't my, know why um, I just said both. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> my, my driveway currently has a lot in common with the glacier, as in that it's a solid sheet of ice, and I'm trying Mine to too. find someone to come and salt and tear it all up because I don't think I have the back for it. Like, I'm getting up, like, solid, like, inch-and-a-half chunks of, like, solid ice if I can break it up. Yeah. And I ran I out of ice melt um, and could not get any more, so that was also a bummer. I had the same thing happen today. I've got some rock salt left, but it ain't enough to... There's, there's like, between an inch and two inches of it on the front steps of my house. So it's... It, yeah, it's a frozen nightmare. Um, it's it's actually – that... mm-hmm. my house is not bad because there is like a solid mm-hmm. layer of powder snow like on top of all of it. So if yeah. it, I left all that and if you just walk on the snow, like it's not bad because it gives you traction. But if I took that snow off, like it would be a death trap at my house. The the wind blew it off of mine. <laughs> oh. All right. So is everything shut down where you guys are? No. It was a level two uh, here okay. for – a day but like if if where i live if it's if any no matter how bad it gets they'll have it clear by four o'clock in the afternoon like the roads will be will be fine because uh, i have family my basically my in-laws in san antonio and san antonio allegedly got like three to six inches which is essentially unheard of like it it has it does not get snow like it just certainly doesn't get snow of that magnitude like in the entire time that i've been going to san antonio which is almost 10 years now i I think maybe once it snowed a little like flurries but nothing like this um and i know my in-laws basically just like stayed home like they did not leave even though like in dc three to six inches is like kind of it's kind of nothing like six inches six inches is enough to, to if you have kids it's like enough to get the kids off school yeah, yeah it's, it's certainly like makes traveling on the road a little difficult. So you think if I everything now is telework with uh, where I work, so it, that it doesn't mean anything. But six inches uh, in, back in the olden days before it was telework, six inches would have got me off work. Like yeah, like offices shut down. <coughs> There's uh, not. It's not that bad though. Six inches yeah. is like it, six inches. I was six inches. I would say is like a problem. Uh, under that, not so much. Yeah. See here in central Kentucky, there's the problem is not the snow, it's the ice. Because yeah. we had an ice storm, it didn't get warm enough for that ice to melt. Then we got more ice that 
then we got snow on top of it and it, it they the road departments tend to use rock salt brine to thaw mm-hmm. the streets out it's too cold for the rock salt to work so um that's like my driveway and my street my street starts on a rise goes into a dip comes up on another rise and it is a solid sheet of ice that ain't happening and to to piggyback you said you had family in san antonio my brother's in corpus christi texas they got iced over down there and yeah a lot of texas (laughs) got hit pretty bad the corpus police department put out statements that said we're putting up barricades on streets that are too icy to drive on we ask that all people quit driving around the barricades it's uh it's pretty extensive too um i actually had to make some phone calls for work today and i was contacting actually people in the texas area and i can't I had to contact someone in Houston. I had to contact someone also who was in Dallas. And they both cities got basically some level of winter weather that shut everything down. Yep. Um, and not, not necessarily saying like six inches there. But, I mean, again, this is areas that they don't get ice or snow. Yeah. And they so don't have like, snow removal. Like, yeah, literally like structure. an inch of ice. Or, or Well, I mean, an inch of ice could be problematic anywhere. But literally like a couple inches of snow can like shut things down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, for those who don't know the geography of Texas, like it, Dallas and Houston are not close. No, they are. No, three hours. If that's uh, more than three hours, like driving, like uh, if you flew from Houston to Dallas, it'd probably be like at least two hours. Jeez. Which it's like, I can get, I can literally get on a plane uh, from DC to like, let's say, uh, Providence, Rhode Island to go see friend of the show, Chris DiPatrillo. <laughs> and that's like, maybe like a 45 minute flight. So yeah, I think that I actually think like the, the tailwinds make things go a little faster flying from like the DC area to the, the Northeast, but still like Texas is a ponderously large state. Someone actually took, I saw this recently because people are trying to discuss the weather, but they, they literally took like a, basically the yanked Texas out of the United States and yeah. overlaid it onto Europe. And it's like, at least like a fourth of Europe, <laughs> it, maybe like a third of Europe is just Texas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't it's... think um, one of the common things I've noticed is Europeans don't understand how like large the United States is. And that, I don't like... think Americans understand how large it is. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like it's like I don't think they realize like if you were to fly from like where I am to California, that's probably. Oh, I've done Vegas before. I think Vegas is five hours. Driving? No, flying. Because driving, that's like a day and something. If you fly from like DC, which is DC to let's say like LA area, because I've I mean I've done that flight. If you do a direct flight, it's a good like six hours, which isn't terrible. I mean if you're, but it, you also have to think of it this way, like if you were to fly from DC to like London, it would be like six hours. Like it's yeah. it's a the United States is very, very large, and I don't yeah. think people understand that. That's there's, <laughs> like I, I know Europeans like to be like, well, why don't you guys have uh, like high speed rail? Like we have high speed rail, it's great. It's like you don't even know like how much yeah. rail you have to do to connect. It, it's a great idea in practice. It would be like like logistically a nightmare because the, yeah. the United States is just huge. Yeah, even Ohio, like, if you were to go from, like, Cleveland to Cincinnati, like, it's nice that you live in Columbus because you're right in the middle of the state, so nothing's more than a couple hours either way. But, like, Cleveland to Cincinnati, like, to drive from one end of the state to the other is, like, probably four-ish 
plus hours, depending on like how you hit the roads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. So it's cold in the U.S. right now, and we're stuck dealing with it. <laughs> yes. Um, Which is ironic, considering um, we're doing a beach-themed yeah, today. Yeah, Yeah, let's get our shout-outs taken care of real quick. The first one will go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code 4CORNERSPODCAST. That is the number four, capital C and corner, capital P and podcast, no spaces. Save 10% off your order. They still have the Shad Gaspard and Brody Lee family benefit shirts. And I'm going to be ordering a hoodie because... The hoodie that my wife had me get, quote-unquote, for us, that I had not been able to get my hands on until today, I got it on today, and I was like, wow, this is a magnificent hoodie. <clears throat> what hoodie are you going to get? I don't know yet. I uh, got the uh, like the, the gray camo, and yeah. I, I enjoy it. It's a, it's a pretty good hoodie. I'm, um, uh, I'm holding out for the, the fleece pullover Nia Jax my whole um, <laughs> one. God. I don't know if they're going <laughs> to... Uh, you know what? I, yeah, I I hope not. <laughs> um, and then we've got another shout out where we pass the ball over to Matt. Uh, that would be to uh, Orlando Cologne, no stranger to beaches because he's from the lovely island of Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, always excited to give a shout out to Orlando. I actually have never been to Puerto Rico. My I've wife been. has. Um, I want to go. I want to go at some point. Um, I mean they've. They need the tourism too, because they got they got hit pretty hard with uh, with hurricanes in the past, and then we had COVID shutting everything down. So I went yeah. in the um, I went when did I go? I think I went in '98 on a school trip. I want to go too, because it's like I I have a small child now, so actually going on kind of big faraway trips is would probably be very expensive slash like logistically complicated. So. Well, yeah. uh, maybe, uh, maybe like a, just going to Puerto Rico would probably be. Yeah, there's a lot like of a stuff, nice there's a lot of cool stuff to see. Like you can walk in the rainforest. Um, San, I think it's San Juan. It's been a while, so forgive me, people. But like, um, if you go see El Moro, like the city has like torrents in it, and you can walk around and feel like gigantic because everyone was like five three back then. Hmm. And um, that. Um... That reminds me of the other thing. I'm sorry, Brad. That we do have a Redbubble store now. Just oh yeah, basically to have it. Uh, I put the link in our Instagram posts. Um, that'll take you right to the entire inventory of it. But if we get enough sales on that, maybe we'll have a a Four Corners <laughs> excursion to Puerto Rico to see WWC <laughs> or something. Uh, you know, as much as I would like actually like to be making money <laughs> on yeah. the podcast. Uh, it's for me like I, I'm happy about the Redbubble store for one reason alone: arrogance. I want to see people wearing our merch, <laughs> walking around. I, I <laughs> Honestly, would be... it was the easiest way for the easiest way I could think of to get our logo on something I own. So I would yeah. be cool with if we could just make enough money for the podcast to not cost any of us anything. I'd be cool with that at some point. Sure. I did want to give a shout out. Speaking of podcasts, um, yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to because one of one of the members has listened to and commented on our show in the past. So I wanted to give his um, podcast a shout out. It's called Uncharted Territory. This um, this is the guys that 
design and do the Legends of Wrestling line for Phil Singer Games. Oh, cool. yeah. So, um, like, the last episode they had this guy on that does a YouTube channel named Steve Tower from After Further Review, and he, like, live streams. I'll, I'll give him a shout too, because his stuff's cool. And he does, like, a YouTube channel where he, like, live streams himself playing, like, a lot of tabletop sports games. And they were talking about, like... Uh, Legends of Wrestling. They're talking about like some some like tabletop football and baseball games, but they also do like um, they'll kind of go over like they, they'll put some design meetings up there. They're going through like some of the old um, newsletters that they used to do for the Champions of the Galaxy line, and they have Mark Ashby on there who wrote a lot of those <clears throat> newsletters. And sometimes I... they'll just talk about um, like you know just tabletop wrestling stuff so if you're a fan of like tabletop sports games or tabletop wrestling games i would say it's a must listen i 100 percent remember those champions of the galaxy games um i have a question because you would maybe know the answer to this brad you know that 80s mania wrestling game uh you could download for like apple or yeah. android did did the dude who do that kind of give like a shout out to the the uh, Champions of the Galaxy game because so he there was actually couple, there was a... he actually so that's Chris mm-hmm. Osk or Usk I don't know how you say it so he actually worked with Phil Singer Games for a while so he um he did he had a lot to do when they put the game online and did like the online setup but he wrote um he wrote a side promotion in the Champions line called Ace which was like mm-hmm. this really cool um horror survival based wrestling promotion where like pe- like had zombies and stuff in it and like characters would get killed and it was very like war based so the guy that designed that and the guy he worked with were both involved in that community and it broke off from that so he actually at one point did have like a couple of champions through an agreement characters in the game yeah cuz there was a couple i forget exactly the names um it's that probably, was a really fun game yeah it was right? but um yeah so if 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 you're interested in that stuff at all or like you just like tabletop games like uh they they have a lot of cool stuff they've played champions and legends for a long time um they're very knowledgeable about wrestling in general because well obviously the design cards for for guys that sign with with that line so yeah give it a listen they they have about 17 episodes out um I thought the one with Steve Tower was really interesting because he was talking about kind of um, just a lot of different stuff. And his channel is interesting because he um, it's just cool. To, sometimes it's cool to see someone play like uh, a game and there there's some boxing game he's he plays that I'm kind of interested in because I have I have a problem when it comes to board games. <laughs> too many. Yes. Way too many. Yeah. All right. So. Tonight, we are getting into another listener request. We're down with listener requests. If you got a request, submit it through any of our social media. But tonight, uh, the listener request came to us for Bash at the Beach 97, uh, one year after the introduction of the NWO. So, let's see. We're going to be getting into this going card front to back, uh, giving our impressions, all that kind of stuff. So, Brad, what was the first match on the card? 
Uh, that was Glacier and Ernest Miller against Morth. Uh, <laughs> well, Morth. I just tried to say both of them. Morth, Morth. and Wrath. <laughs> I love Morth. Yes. That's great. That's when a, that's when a Mortis loves a Wrath, and nine months later you get a Morth. Yes. Um, this was Miller's kind of debut match, wasn't it? No, I looked, and because um, because their their taping schedule was so screwed up, like he had actually wrestled like eight times before he actually debuted on TV because like worldwide and pro and all that stuff. Okay. Okay. Wasn't sure, but thought I'd ask. Um, and this Matt... was uh, this was deep into the whole blood runs cold. Mm-hmm. This was towards the end running. of it, I think, actually. Well, it is towards the end because like they didn't really, they kind of really didn't do much with Glacier after that. I mean, he still he still stuck around for like a couple of years. But... And he won. Well, yeah. no, he had that. Um, I I he had something I really liked in '98, I think, where he. Perry Saturn and Chris Adams were having like a three way feud over the super kick. Yeah. Because I like that. um Saturn was like running him down and saying, like, I don't know why you're calling it the cryonic kick, it's just like a side kick. And yeah. then like Chris Adams was obviously low man on the totem pole, but he was kinda like in there too because he used the move, which I actually thought that was that was more of like a weekend show feud. I don't think that actually really was on nitro much but that was like a cool um easter egg feud if you if you like were deep enough into like all the tv yeah i was about to say like that sounds very much like a wcw saturday night type of feud it pretty much and it's nice to to roll adams in on it um but i remember the uh the perry saturn glacier feud feud over it so the this match had the the um had the big glacier entrance with the lasers and stuff to it. Um you know, which Glacier was purportedly over. Um, Oh my gosh. We've we've seen a couple things with him on it and he always gets like a pop. Like I don't know why they I don't know why people run down the Blood Runs Cold stuff so far because we've seen it on a couple of different things via this show and like I wouldn't call any of it, like, the most amazingest thing ever, but I don't feel like it's actually even WrestleCrap-worthy. I feel like it's just, like, a like a little mid-card thing that kind of got over a bit. Yeah, um, I, in watching this, I had forgotten how over Glacier was, because people were on fire for him and Miller, ironically enough. This match had a ton of heat. People were, like, really hot for this match. I, yeah, I really think um, I really wanted to say like I came away from this thinking to myself, "Wow, Canyon is a really great worker." Mm-hmm. Because I would oh, say yeah. I would say Wrath and Ernest Miller were nothing great in the ring, and I would say Glacier was. I would say he was acceptable. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd call him good, but he was. He was perfectly acceptable as a wrestler, but I feel Pat, like this. Pat match was like 90% like Mortis just like calling everything and like laying things out and like he he laid this out perfectly to be like a hot opener for the crowd and I was just like wow like he is like really good at his job yeah um wasn't wasn't rape trailer or oh, not rape trailer <laughs> it wasn't glacier <laughs> 
Is what's his real name? It's like Ray something, isn't it? Oh yeah, um, his his original gimmick was Buzz Stern. I think he's like Ray oh. Lloyd, maybe. That's yeah. right. That's it. Um, he was he had didn't been around he start for, off in like AWA or something? I think he was in like Florida Indies. Okay, I I think he had been around like like a literally like a decade before they he signed and got the whole Blood Runs Cold gimmick. Oh yeah, he'd been around since like the late eighties. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, his original gimmick was Sugar Ray Lloyd, given to him by Tommy Rich. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see, and he he got Coach Buzz Stern as a gimmick at some point. I remember I that, that was, but that um, it didn't last long. No, he was like a he was like a I think he was actually because Chris Elner talks about him. I think he was like a Georgia indie dude for like a long time before that yeah yeah i'm looking at it looking at his wiki right now and yeah he he um he was you're right georgia indie for a long time i'm actually surprised he wasn't he didn't pop up in global because uh, joe pedicino who who started global was was big in georgia so i'm surprised he never got a a gwf match or two hmm uh, he had a trip to Japan for UWFI. That makes sense. Really? Yeah, with uh, yeah, with Takata. He was a guest of Takata, and uh, he came back in '96 and was talking to Paige about doing martial arts stuff. So Paige pitched it to Bischoff, and Bischoff was on board. So yeah, go. and for for people who are not aware who are younger like that this was like i want to say like right at the height of of mortal kombat because the height of mortal kombat was probably like three years earlier maybe two or three mm-hmm. years earlier but i mean mortal kombat was still very much ongoing at this time so clearly they were trying to capitalize on yeah. popularity um they had that. very doing very mortal kombat theme type gimmicks yeah, they had to actually change uh, Glacier's ring attire because it looked too close to Sub-Zero. <clears throat> Did you guys notice during the match there were mirrors on the mats on the outside? No. As yeah. part of Yeah, that, that was part of the, um, the ring entrance with all the lasers and everything, which supposedly was like $10,000 every time they did that entrance because they had to fly the one guy in to set it all up. I know he did several Chikara shots, but I remember he was like a surprise entrant at like... It, it, I, I, Matt probably remembers this. Remember they did, um, they did like an ice um, theme for one of the 2008 King of Trios, and they had this big, this big like lottery ball thing, and they were pulling names out, and they keep saying mm-hmm. names, and like I think uh, Bryce would run back and be like, he's not here, he's not here, and then they finally <laughs> call Glacier out, and like this crowd of like 900 people just like loses their shit because it's glacier mm-hmm. <laughs> very nice i think he teamed up with los ice creams i'm betting it was los ice creams because i think it I was team. los ice creams yeah i think that's right so uh, this was yeah you guys mentioned this match was um didn't he do a spring break for joy janela yeah wasn't he in one of the cluster fucks Uh, mm, that sounds right, but I don't know. Let me look. Continue. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah. 
it, it was really hot. It was a good opener. You could tell Miller's green because he's he's basically waiting on his cues a little too long a few times, but it that it, it's excusable. It happens. I do. I have a bone to pick here, and maybe this is me being overly critical. <clears throat> but there are there are two spots, and then the finish that I think should have been moved around. Um, the finish on this is Vandenberg puts a chain on Mortis's foot to kick Glacier with. I don't understand why that's the finish when we had like a like a proto Van Daminator early in the, like they leaned Glacier against the post, put a chair over his head, and and Canyon did like a running boot to it, which that would have been a fantastic finish because that makes perfect sense, makes more sense than the the chain around the foot does. And they did they did the the power bomb neckbreaker spot, which I in my head I dubbed the Viano Killer because that's kind of sick. But <clears throat> either one of those I thought would have been a better finish than just the chain around the foot to kick Glacier in the middle of the chest. That's old um, school. That's um I know, but I know it's old school and it makes sense. Like but you had these two big spectacular spots that would be, you know, kill someone dead. But you do those to Glacier, and he's he's up not long after back in the fight. But you're going to do those two things. You're going to go with the chain on the foot as the finish, though, and, and that that bothers me. You kind of some of those should have been switched. Your, you kind of want to screw your undefeated guy on his first loss, is my yeah. My but thing. I mean. Okay, so so switch the chain on the foot spot with the the chair at the post spot, and there you go. You do the first one, you're like, oh, that didn't work. So you step it up to the the chair at the post spot, and then, there we go. Like, I'm down with that. But okay, he was um, he was in the first um, clusterfuck. He's actually does a lot. He did a Ring of Honor Honor Rumble in 2017. I actually forgot he was in. The 2019 Double or Nothing Casino Battle Royal. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot. What were you going to say, Matt? Uh, the problem with with him chopping Glacier um, is that they basically really didn't do a lot more with him after yeah. that. Like it, it was kind of like diminishing returns. Yep, feud's over. Yeah. Basically, um, and they... I can't. I think they did. What was the outsider match before or after this? The outsider versus Wrath and Mortis tag. Oh, that's a good question. I almost feel like it was after, but it, it was after. after. This show was right about the time I started watching. Like it was real close to this, and I remember Wrath and Mortis versus the Outsiders decently clearly. So I'd I'd put money on it being after. They. It, can you guys correct me if I'm wrong? I thought I heard this, and if I did hear it correctly, it's like it was it was definitely like an, an area they could have explored, but I don't think they ever did. Um, at one point, wasn't Bobby when they're in through the course of the match when they're just kind of like kind of talking up the match or talking up the the workers? Didn't Bobby at one point say like there was some sort of he intimated there was some sort of backstory between Glacier and Sonny Ono? Or was it someone else? Did he, uh, it I think it was Vandenberg. Oh, Vandenberg. Okay. He, he didn't always talk up um, 
I remember on the weekend shows, Heenan would always talk up Vandenberg like that. He went to like his like weird island and like somewhere other and like there's all this weird stuff there. Like I have distinct memories of Bobby talking about that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, because Bobby's trying to get guys over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought he said. I thought it was they had said Ono, which it's like if that was the case. Then they could have easily gone down a road where it's like Glacier versus, you know, Ultima Dragon or some other dude that Ono was associated with. But yeah, that was not the case, I guess. I think at this time, Ono's clients were Psychosis and Yuji Nagata. I see. Yeah, because he definitely came out uh, later on for Psychosis. And and Laparka, because they mentioned that when we get to that match. Remember, Yuji Nagata had that weird vest thing yeah in that feud with the dragon yeah I'm looking at it now what the fuck was that the vest yeah he has this weird like bulletproof like vest thing on or something oh yeah yeah it it, it kind of would have fit in with the blood runs cold motif wouldn't it so the match was good um I just I don't like the way those spots were laid out. I would have preferred one of them in the finish, but the match was still good. It was a good, uh, it had a good, it had a good, they, they did a good job of conveying hatred in this match for each other. I thought they really did. Mm-hmm. Like there was the match. Huh? Oh, I was going to say there, there was, I, I, it actually made me sad that people in wrestling don't like convey hatred like that anymore. When I was watching it. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to suspend disbelief, but you're supposed to believe that what you're seeing there is real. Like the people don't yeah. like each other there. There's some sort of real rivalry, uh, especially when this case where you had four guys who were supposed to be like in an angle where they are all like, well, not obviously not Cat and Glacier, but uh, these two teams are supposed to be like mortal enemies essentially. Yeah. So um, the match did get a lot. It had a lot of heat. Uh, oh yeah, even. Even cat, <clears throat> sorry, even for cat for being very green, um, people really were actually into him. Probably because he just, when he wasn't there, he would just go in there and do like some cool martial arts moves, which you know, <laughs> it's easy for people to get. He has he, he <clears throat> his signature spot was that uh, leap, jump, turn, roundhouse kick that he was very good with, um, mm-hmm. and you know, so he he threw that a few times, and it it always looked really good and the crowd loved it and you were saying brad about the um uh about the you know convincing hate conveying hatred glacier one of the things he always had going for him is that he always conveyed this intensity you know i and he was always like everything he was doing you would like glacier gets in the ring and he's like staring the other guy down you totally buy it's like he's thinking i'm gonna take them apart So then up next, we have Chris Jericho defending the Cruiserweight title against Ultimo Dragon. They're still calling him Ultimate Dragon at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the era where they're still not getting his name right. They course correct that next month, actually. <coughs> oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it seemed like the crowd kind of deflated a little bit after the last match. Like, oh, there I was felt like they... Yeah. 
I felt like they kind of totally deflated. Like these guys were, these guys had a really good match. We'll talk about yeah. it. But it, to me, like they, the, the crowd just kind of went like weirdly silent for most of the yeah. match. It was a weird. I don't know why because it was a weird face versus face thing. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And they they did give Jericho a bit of a pop, but it was like a weird. Like Jericho had just like literally, I think he had just won the title a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he, he's the one that took it off six. Yeah. You know this because well, the announcers mentioned it, but then there was this <laughs> there was this handful of like three or four chodes that were sitting in the back of the floor seats that started screaming during the match. We want six. We want. And I'm I'm convinced they got the belt off of him because Waltman got hurt. Um. No, but because I, they had I a don't... rematch. They had a rematch on Nitro right after he won it because they did this. Oh, did they? I think okay. they, I don't remember where it was. I think it was the L.A. Coliseum. I think it was an online show maybe at the time. But, like, Six and Mysterio had, like, we're going to have a match. And Jericho came out and pretty much just said, like, I want whoever has the winner. And then Six retained the title and then Jericho beat him. Right. Because I remember him – because I distinctly remember <clears> – <throat> remember being shocked because like there was no like pay-per-view or anything and suddenly like jericho had the belt yeah and he took it off an nwo member yeah so but this is like this is kind of this is kind of i mean interesting though because they finally like kind of because jericho before this just to give context was like he would win matches but he wouldn't necessarily beat guys of consequence so this yeah. is kind of actually them pulling the trigger on him mm-hmm. yeah um mike Tanay, by the way in the course of this match he he puts some work in putting over the history between dragon and jericho but it also highlights a problem and they've got four men in the announce booth for this show yeah, and it's that's that's too many too many folks. Like if it were me for this match and the Lucha Six Man, I would have been like, "Hey, Tanae's going to sit in for these," but I wouldn't have had him there for the whole show. No, he was only he he's only there for he goes away for the Steiners. No, he goes away after the Lucha match. I know he, he is that what it is. Yeah. Okay, he does go away, but. Honestly, I actually even feel like in this case, three people was too much. Mm-hmm. I actually, I pretty much in, generally in wrestling, think it should only really be like a, a two-person booth. I agree with mm-hmm. that. You have your play-by-play guy. You have your like your color commentator. Uh, I think WCW really did it well for the most part. Because um, you had WWE. Today, you had today best... who was a specialist. That I'm kind of fine with because it's not like every match. If if it's yeah. like okay, I'm I'm like a lucha expert, so I'm gonna come in and talk about all these luchadors. Like that 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 was fine. But three people, it's like a lot. I mean, the best the best commentary, even for like the WWF slash WWE, I felt is with like two people. And even honestly, I, I'm very fond of AEW. I don't I don't necessarily feel like AEW needs three people. No. Like when you have when you have like Excalibur and Jr. and someone else, sometimes a fourth person, mm-hmm. I, I I feel like it really is like not necessary. 
I liked the Nitro dynamic myself, where you had Shivani and Heenan, and then mm-hmm. the first hour you had Zabisco, and then after that, I guess it was usually Tanay, but like they they seem to have a pretty good three man dynamic. I think Larry and Bobby traded off with each other. Actually. Was it Larry and Bobby? They did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I knew Larry traded out, but I, I thought it was Tanay instead of Heenan. Um, but then that the three main dynamic, if because um, if you've got Shivani doing play by play, Heenan being Bobby Heenan, which is great, and then you have a specialist like Zabisco or Tanay or or Dusty even, um, you know, you, you can you got your play by play, you got your color, you got your specialist. That works. I, I like that dynamic, but four is, is too many. It is. Let's see. So I thought this this started a little slow, but when they hit that like end third of the match, I thought it got really good. Yeah. Oh man. But what I want to say, one thing I did, I want to say I like about commentary though is when Dusty's on commentary, like he um, even if it's something like this where he's clearly out of his element, if something cool happens, you can tell when he likes something because um. There's a point where Ultimo Dragon hits a tiger driver on Jericho. And, and yeah. it's like, it actually came off like, I don't know if he was playing a character, if he le- just legitimately was curious. But he's like, he's like, hey, Mike, what was that? And he's like, that was a tiger driver. He's like, ooh, I want to see that again. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty's asking for asking for another tiger driver. And he's really excited about it. And, and it came off like, I, I almost think that was like a genuine, like out of character. Character I, moment. I am by no means a dusty expert, but I would actually feel like that is something that he, it probably was a genuine reaction because he, he, I, I mean, dusty was professional, so he certainly would want to get stuff over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that was like the finishing move, maybe he, he would be doing that to kind of, you know, get it over as the finishing move for what happened. But, uh, I think that was probably just his real reaction. Like he probably hasn't, <laughs> hadn't seen a lot of, I mean, you're not seeing like, you weren't seeing like the midnight express doing like tiger drivers back in the yeah. day. So he probably, that's true. Probably was like, wow, that's a flashy move. And then because he is like professional recognized, like, well, we should probably like make note of this. Yeah. Um, so I think it was probably like. He worked both into it, but I, I think I, Dusty was probably showing some real emotion there. One of my favorites well, is um, they brought in, they brought in like, um, might have been JPW at the time, but like it was Dynamite Kansai, and um, he's teasing Jr. that he's gonna get um, Jr. a date with her after the match, and then she like literally <laughs> just starts kicking the shit out of this woman. Dusty's like, "Ooh, Jr. Like I might not, I might not ask her for that date <laughs> after all." <laughs> Dusty always, well, there's a reason that Botchamania has a section called in du- Insane Dusty Commentary. Sometimes he'd get a little bit of field, but uh, when he, you were right, Matt, that did play into the finish because there was another Tiger Driver event, uh, attempt in the the last series. Um, mm. But it, yeah, it picked, I think it picked up, there was a spot, like this top rope drop kick spot that I think was a botch, but they covered it well. And then they really seemed to kick into gear, and stuff got really good. Yeah, this was very. Um, I think I think why this had some trouble though is this felt very. Um, this felt very Japanese in its approach. Mm. Um, mm, 
Yeah, this is kind of like a, a Japanese juniors match. Yeah, and, and I think I think um, it's not what people are used to seeing. I think. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Because there wasn't like a clear heel face dynamic, and like they shook hands afterwards and everything. Like it was a very um, it was a very sporty type match. I would say. Yeah. Which, this must be... Regal must have been the TV champion. This must have been between um, Ultimo's TV title reigns. Yeah, because that, that belt's not on here. No, because I remember when he won it back on Nitro, they they did this thing, this cool thing in the corner, and he, like, came off, like, the turnbuckles or something, and he just got that, that dragon sleeper on Regal in this, like, really cool way. Mm, okay. It reminds me of... Um... I think he got it was it was did he get the cruiserweight title off of Eddie? He reversed a vertical suplex into the Dragon Sleeper. I think so because that because they because yeah. they remember they did that weird like they did a couple of changes. I think where Ultimo won it and then Hoovy beat him and then Jericho beat Hoovy in like early '98 yeah. and then Jericho like went heel. Yeah, I think that's right. <clears throat> so this was a good this was a good match. It was fun. It just it took a little time to find its feet and um, that the point it found its feet. That's what I was waiting for. Cause I knew Jericho and dragon had done cool stuff. I was, I was waiting for that to come together. I liked the match, but I was kind of thrown off by the silence from the crowd, like the, the lack of heat. So I think that kind of affected it for me. Um, just as like an aside, Meltzer, gave this match apparently four and a half stars, Ugh, which it's like, yeah, no, no, no chance, no, like, no chance in hell. Uh, and I only mentioned that <laughs> like, as much as I, again, I've, I've mentioned before, like I've met him. He's like a really nice guy in person, but he's got like some really odd biases at times. And it's like, clearly like you can, you can, this is such a great example of his biases. Yeah. Cause it's like, there's no, absolutely no reason to give this match four and a half stars i'm not even saying it's a bad match it's It's, like three and a half stars yeah i'd probably i'd probably go there three and a half three and a half stars like a very a good match like definitely a match that is worth your your time watching yeah but it's not like you know four and a half stars that's that's getting into like match of the year contender yeah yeah and it's like this is nowhere near that and especially like yeah like this is nowhere near what i would say ultimo's best wcw matches which was um, the World War Three match with Ultimo and Rey Mysterio from 96, which I would say is like a legit four and a half to four and three quarters of a star match. And this is nowhere, nowhere near as good as that match. Part of my criteria for a match getting four stars and above is going to be how involved you have the crowd for the entirety of the match. And the fact that they did not have the crowd for at least half of it, it degrades it in my mind. Um, See, I don't because it, it brings it down. I don't. I don't necessarily hold that against certain people in WCW because we've seen it on this show numerous times, and it kind of held up here to a degree. Is with a WCW crowd, is they they. If they don't know who you are, they're not going to react. But if you go out there and have a good match, like you'll you'll have them by the end of it. And we really yeah, saw yeah, that yeah, with um, mm-hmm. that Pillman Liger match where they came out to nothing, and that crowd was like 
losing their minds by the end of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they basically are kind of like work rate snobs. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny if um if you ever watch the the Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask match from MSG. Like, that one's hilarious because they'll do crowd shows, crowd shots, and you'll see people, like, looking at other people, like, are we really, like, seeing, like, what we're seeing? <laughs> and it's one of the few times I've ever seen, like, <laughs> actual work rate melt, like, a WWF crowd's brains. Mm. But, I mean, that's, like, ti- that's like Tiger Mask, though, who, um, is, which is hilarious. If you can find stuff of him from, like, the 2000s. Like, when he's, like, a fat old man and he's still doing, like, the super agile stuff as, like, Super Tiger, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really weird that he went into, like, he got so involved in shoot style. Because that's Satoru Sayama, right, is his is his actual name. I think so. He was big in shoot style. After that. <laughs> Okay, so what was the next match on the card? This is the Steiner Brothers versus the Great Muda and Masahiro Chono. Now, this was a bait and switch because they had supposedly won a number one contenders match for a shot at the Outsiders, and then they were like, "Oh, but you got to be you got to beat Chono and Muda first. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so this was a match where Chono and Muda were like, "Oh, we're going to jack these guys up," and the Steiners. I had a chip on their shoulder because they were like, "Oh, oh, okay, you're gonna run from us again." You know, we're gonna we're gonna make a point. This was um, this was a good bomb fest. I thought though, this to me was a super fun match because literally anytime you took the Steiners and put them with like two Japanese wrestlers, they were just gonna have fun. They're gonna like suplex the <laughs> shit out of everyone. <laughs> Uh, maybe throw some bombs. There's gonna be like some Steiner lines. Like it's it's always a good time. Like the Steiners must the, the Steiners must have loved to be working with any sort of Japanese talent because they're like oh boy like we can actually work pretty I won't say stiff but we can work like snug and yeah. just throw dudes around and it, it's it's fine it'll be almost like appreciated. I thought Muda was really good in this because Muda really sold like his just. I don't know what the word is, consternation at being forced to wrestle these two lunkheads that were just going to throw him all over the place. Because, like, <laughs> there, was, seen... there was points where he's mm-hmm. on the outside, he's like, God damn it, do I really have to get back in there? Yeah. <laughs> Muda, um, Muda was really motivated, which was kind of not the case for most of his, like, NWO Japan run. Yeah. Until, like, until that was ending. In which case he got a little more motivated again, and that's what kind of led to like we saw the from a few episodes back the the Mudo um, Scott Norton match. Yeah, that was kind of when NWO had the Japan had ended in in New Japan Pro Wrestling was kind of becoming a face again. Like he got a little more motivated, and then like in the early two thousands, I know I'm kind of like kind of digressing here. Like in the early two thousands, obviously that's when Mudo um, had he shaved his head. Greatest transformation I think of a worker Busting ever. Out, like the um, shining wizard, which it it was fascinating because he he was I mean realistically he did it because his knees were like getting shot so he couldn't be doing like the flashy stuff anymore so he developed more of like a mat based style but he completely like changed his look became a really he changed his style like I mean he was always like a great worker 
he became he continued to be a great worker just in a different style it's really fascinating for people who have not who aren't really aware of like early 2000s muda like it's worth actually going out of your way to see a lot of his stuff and his it's 2001 like, is like immaculately good like it's just good yeah, matches he, everywhere yeah he it's it really can go up there with people like rick flair in certain certain years maybe like rick flair 1989 or something like that where it's like this is really like the peak of this this performer this worker's career like it was really like career level performance he did he was it was fantastic and i thought and, it was i thought it was um i thought it was it was very self-aware that he realized that he was balding and like he just needed to give it up but i also think mm-hmm. like you can really tell like to today like you can tell he's not the same worker anymore but guys like kabashi just being totally done and being done for a long yep. time like you can just see like how much smarter he was with his body than a lot of guys are kudos to keiji mudo the great muda because i i haven't seen it yet i did buy i did wind up buying the pay-per-view it's on fight tv but he just wrestled um in a noah uh pay-per-view and 58 years old won the championship title is he mm, is I, he the first man to hold the IWGP GHC and the Triple Crown triple Championships? Crown. He is not. Um, two other people have done that before. I one was Takayama, oh, and yeah. I believe the other one was uh, Kensuke Sasaki. So he's like the third. But okay. um, he's fifty eight years old. The dude has had both knees replaced. Um, I haven't seen the match, but from from, from people who the commentary I have seen from people who have seen the match, um, it's not as good of a match as probably you would be expecting. I mean, it's he's a 58 year old dude. Um, yeah. With, with like and, fake knees and. Yeah. But, and Go Shiozaki, who was the uh, Noah champion, has actually had, in the last like three, four months, uh, like like his title defense. A string of like amazing title matches. A, so yeah, a string of like literally people were saying like these matches are if not they're like match of the year contenders like close to five stars type matches like he's been having like a really fantastic uh run um even though he lost to mudo like what i've heard from people is that this match isn't like one of those you know five star classics but it was allegedly like a really fun entertaining match so i am i am looking forward to that and i don't i can't actually imagine he's going to have a title long it's more just like like it gets a, a, a thing to get people talking, yeah. yeah. Um, and also like a nostalgia thing. I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll lose it, you know, pretty quickly. But I'm, it's kind of fun for someone who's like a been a, lo- a you know, lifelong Muda fan. Like when I, I remember when I first started watching wrestling in the '90s. Like I watched like old tapes, and I was actually I I, I first became aware of him when I saw it was the 1989 like Thunderdome match, the one he teamed up with Terry Funk against uh, Sting and Ric Flair. Have you guys seen that? Yes. I have not. That's a really cool one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Um, Cage. I watched... Which, um, uh, early on. I watched a lot of the 89 TV a couple years ago, and they bring him in as a heel, but he's almost, like, getting face pops immediately because it's it's NWA oh. crowds, and he's doing, like, suicide dives and, like, all this cool stuff, and, like, the crowd... He got over popping. so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. 
he got over like rapidly. I mean, to the point where like he de- he debuted and you know by the end of the year he was in like main event matches because he was just so over. Like by his uh, Shad, by his like yeah. third match, he's getting pops. Like that's yeah. how mm-hmm. crazy quick he gets over. That Thunderdome, Kate. The, the whole premise, it took, like, the cage match to a different level, where it's, like, the top of the cage is supposed to be electrified. Okay. Um, so, you, so you can't escape it, because if you do, you could, you know, shock yourself. Uh, here's the thing. It actually was uh, somewhat shoot electrified. Okay. Because at one point, there's, like, a rag or something <laughs> is like, on top of the cage. It actually catches fire. And <laughs> in a really funny but cool spot, uh, Muto improvises, and he just, like, climbs the cage, and missed to put out the fire the fire oh, no, no wow. joke it's dead dead serious That's and actually it, it like popped the crowd it was just like this improvised thing he did but it was really funny cool um anyway as, as like a very we, we really digressed to like talk about mudo but i'm a i'm a fan and i'm kind of <laughs> i'm happy that he actually won the yeah. the noah title so this match the steiners with chono muda starts off hot like they yeah they get they don't waste any time. They get they get the ball rolling immediately. And like Brad said, this is just it's a hard hitting Steiner match and man, I loved those. I really did. This is what I love about WCW and um I kinda miss and I know AEW's kinda doing it now, but I just love that like Muda and Chona are just through for like a couple weeks then they're gone. Like I it really helps like freshen things up for like especially when you're just watching TV every week to have someone new pop up for a couple weeks. Like I really mm-hmm. kind of wish WWE did that more instead of looking at like the same faces every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um. There's another thing. The I love the finish on this match. Like I really love it. Uh, if you guys don't mind me jumping to that. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So at, at the end of this, um. Like so, I think Rick did the the flying bulldog, and Chono breaks it up, and Chono grabs the ref, and he's gonna like try and toss him out of the ring. The ref turns around, and I don't know, maybe this was Mickey J. I'm not sure which ref it was, but the ref starts reading him the riot act. He's like, "You don't touch me," and he starts to gesture. He's like, "I don't care what they say. You don't touch me, or I send you to the back. I throw you." You know, like the ref is chewing him out, and while this is happening. Rick's just Rick looks at this and he's like, okay, puts Muda up on his shoulders, and Scott gives him the top rope DDT off of Rick's shoulders. Like everything about that finishing sequence, I love because they're like, oh, okay, well, we got the opportunity, we're gonna do something big for it, and the fact that we have a ref not being a pushover, <coughs> like I, I loved all of that. That was great. No, that's one thing I miss. Like WWE refs never did that, but I I always love like the the WCW guys because like they never took like even the little guys didn't take shit. But like, that's one thing I hate about WWE. Like if Nick Patrick's in the ring, like Nick Patrick should not back down from anyone because Nick Patrick's like a six, five, like ex boxer. Like he should not be afraid of anyone. Actually. I, I love it. Have you ever seen the matches where like flair really gets in their face and they start pushing him back and like flair begs off on the ref. Yeah, <laughs> I love I, that. Yeah. But, but like um but like I always feel like a ref should should fight back. Yeah. WWE refs are are made of paper. You do anything to them and just 
down they go. Well, I was That's watching it. a pre-show. Who was it though? Because it was, it was, it was like AJ and the Usos versus um, Rusev, um, Aiden English, and Baron Corbin, and um, the Usos kept super kicking Aiden English, and then Rusev. And Baron Corbin would grab him and toss him back and like, get back in there. And they'd super kick him back out. Like, mm-hmm. then they'd toss him back in. And they'd super kick him back out. And then they do it again. And then the ref super kicks him. And then they start going at it. And the ref takes his shirt off. And they super kick everyone. And they all go for the pin. And, a- and AJ literally grabs, like, the ref shirts and puts it over his head. And, like, dives in and counts with the three on him. This is, like, a pre-show or, like, in a house show. And it was yeah. hilarious. But that's... Or um, or Rick Knox, um, from he's in. Is Rick Knox in in AEW now, Matt? Rick Knox, I'm not sure. He did PWG in like the bar, and there's like one there where he um, where they went for powder, and they they hit him with it by mistake, and they're like, wait a minute, that's not powder, and he goes crazy because it's cocaine, and he starts like <laughs> just attacking <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Uh, uh, Brad, he is with AEW. I just, okay. I just looked it up. Because that's my other favorite one is the ring announcer and um, his long-standing rivalry with the Bucks and PWG where they would just keep super kicking him. And finally, like after like the fifth time they did it to him, like this is over the course of months, he ducks it and he comes off the ropes and he double clotheslines both of them and like gives them like the suck it thing. <laughs> I, I love the fact that we, you know, you can have a, yeah, I, I love having a ref that's, that's not a, um, that's not a chump. Or, or that one I sent you guys that I really love because it turned the crowd ugly real quick is, is that indie show where Ray Phoenix just kicks Audrey Edwards right in the head and she like just oh. goes dead and like, you can just yeah. feel like that crowd energy turn. I was like, Ooh, like that takes some balls in this like this like environment of wrestling to not be that to not be afraid to just be that hated because like it went ugly real quick oh man he didn't it was do, like flipping a light switch because when he did he did it smart too because he didn't like he didn't wind up he just like <sighs> on the outside he like did like a real looking kick and she she sold that like she was dead yeah he kicked her right on the side of the head yeah mm. um I don't know how he actually was able to work it, but it, it it did look pretty like intense. I think he kicked like parallel to her head, so it looked mm-hmm. like he made contact. But she like, and I think she was she was quick on the draw. But she like she did that like dead weight thing, and like ooh, that crowd was pissed. I'd have to go back and look at it again. I got an idea or two of how they they did it, but I'd need to see it again to be sure. She's also speaking of good referees, like she's I like her a lot because she's a she's not dumb if um if something gets messed up and she's also like the if they if they argue she's like, "No, I said two I it was two." Like she she argues back with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aubrey is she's a great ref. Um, mm-hmm. She really is. Let's see. Mark that off. <laughs> I also love the, and I know you did it once, but I love in Memphis, like when um, they would be pulling weapons off guys, they just keep finding more weapons in the, 
But the ref's yeah, got to do it right. That video anymore. The ref's got to get like progressively more aggravated as they do it. Yeah, the ref that I did it with missed stuff on me, and so I had to like pull it out of my pocket and move it around so the crowd would tell him to go back. And he still didn't pick up on it. Like a guy on the other team was like, he still got stuff, and he's like, no, I got it all. It's like, and the other guy, he's wearing a, he was wearing a mask, and he leans over, he goes. Listen, dumbass, he's still got stuff. Go get it. And the guy comes back over and he's got more stuff. I'm like, I ain't got more stuff. And he turned around. He was like, he said he doesn't got anything. And they're just like, God. So, <laughs> yeah, it's – um. here's the biggest thing. A, a, a good ref is so important. Like, they don't get enough credit. Because you need Because the problem with WWE is their refs are dumb. Like oh god, and that that your ref can't be dumb. Like you really have to, you really have to work like at it to um. You really have to work at it to to like to make to distract the ref. Like in a tag match, like it like to actually get the ref to go after the other guy, you have to agitate the face to come in. And then yeah. for the for the ref to, and you have to do it in such a way that the ref sees it and catches it. Yeah, like the legal like, guy. Like if you have the other guy down, you're the legal guy. What you need to do is you need to go over there and you need to bitch slap him, and then go yeah. back to the guy that when he runs in because he's mad, that's when you start doing your getting your heat on him. Like that's how you do yeah. it. Not. <laughs> well, I mean Scott Hall could do that great because he could get the other guy down, turn around flip the toothpick and so that he doesn't have to get as close and here comes the other guy yeah um that's great but man it there are some people who who are like oh i'm gonna be a ref and they're like man you this is gonna sound bad but you ain't smart enough to be a ref or at least like grab him by the shirt and be like dude i lost my contact while like there's yeah stuff going on behind you yeah you gotta do something (laughs) <laughs> okay, so up next, uh, well, the Steiners, I want to say I like this. This was a good bomb fest. Actually, considering the quality of work the Steiners were doing in 97, this actually surprised me greatly. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because this was, this it, well, and it being Muda, like Matt said that really well. Like, Muda was shockingly <laughs> on the ball here. Yeah. It was a good match. It was a lot of fun. So up next we have a Lucha six man, which is Juventud Guerrera, Hector Garza, Lismark Jr. against uh, La Parca, Psychosis, and Villano four. Um, this was kind of just a spot fest of a match. This this does have Mike Tenay kind of saying they're going to do like that. He said they're going to enforce it more lucha style, which they kind of did. But this, if you, it, this is not necessarily what a lucha style six man would look like. But they did do a good job of like starting to explain like the the backstory and like idea of lucha libre. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this did have um, this did have the the, and I feel like it's a trope that needs to come into wrestling more. But the twin switch, which I love. <laughs> this was an, a rare exception on the twin switch, wasn't it? Uh, the twin loses a lot, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. In my head, the, the twin switch leads to the win, usually. but 
Sometimes it backfires, but usually, usually how the twin switch works and how I prefer it is you you're you're down and your twin like drags you out and he plays dead and you go in to like to try and to do your next move and he just rolls you up for that small package for the one two three yeah yeah that's that's what i was thinking of um or if you're the killer bees you just wear masks so they can't tell you apart then you do it (laughs) so in in watching this the first uh Ano did come out and Tanae mentioned that he had struck a deal to manage Psychosis and La Parca. So we got these guys, Hoovy, Garza, and, and Lismart. I look at the heel side, and all I can think is those guys are wearing so much gear, they have to be burning up. Like La Parca, and this is in Psychosis when he's got the ring, like the full bodysuit with like the, the plastic, the padded armor strapped on half of it thing. They're like, they've got to be just dying. <clears throat> but the biggest thing that jumped out at me in this one was I, in my notes, I labeled it as sequential spots. So it was like, okay, this guy does this move. Then this guy does this move to him. Then this guy does this move to him. This guy does this move. to. It seemed like we saw a fair amount of those in this. And I would, Brad, is that like a Lucha Keystone kind of thing? Or is this it? This didn't have like, usually. So the way a Lucha match works is, Rudos are kind of just more ground-based and try and bully people, and then the Technicos try and fly. So usually what it is is the 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 Rudos beating down on the Technicos, and then the Technicos kind of making a comeback and then trying to um, single out the captain or getting the other two guys. Or, or it turns into a crazy brawl, and they're just all outside of the ring. Um fighting all over the arena but like the pile-up spots aren't really a lucha thing necessarily that's more an american conceit like they do dives and stuff but yeah but lucha lucha itself and and matt will attest to this because he's seen a lot it really bears little resemblance to what you saw in wcw and it really bears it's very different from american wrestling okay because even the way they bump and stuff is different because like you'll get like the this the this you know like the standing surfboard and stuff but like the bumping's different um and there's like a lot of like running the ropes and stuff but there's also like a lot of brawling okay uh, it was it was good it had cool okay in this match like i always kind of like psychosis i always like Laparka, and I, I really liked Hoovy, but I don't know Garza and Lismark. Just they always, with the exception of Garza's corkscrew plancha, which he did really well. Uh, like Lismark and Viana, they just kind of always seem to fade into the background for me. Am I missing something with them or Lismark Junior is kind of whatever. Even in Luce, is not much. Uh, I think Hector Garza has a lot of potential, and TNA was actually going to push him at some point, but then he got in some sort of trouble. Yeah, that's his actually really tragic story because he was set to get like a really big push, mm-hmm. and he there and to the point where like they were going to make him like one of their main event stars. Like he was supposed to get like a almost like a like a Rey Mysterio Eddie Guerrero type of treatment there. Oh wow! Um, but then he got popped for um, I believe it was steroids. Um, I mean, by pop, I mean he got popped by like the U.S. government. Yeah. 
Oh. Uh, and like drug trafficking, he, I think. Yeah. Pop. He tried to argue like this is like legal. I actually have like prescriptions for this. Um, but it whether that was accurate or not doesn't matter. Like they bounced him and basically put a ban on him from returning for like a certain mm. number of years. Oh man. Um, so that would have basically been like would have been his. I mean, it wouldn't have not would not have been his career because um, he wasn't that old. But it's you know what it is. It's like you. When you're finally able to come back to the United States, it's like, well, great. Now you're like, you know, late 30s. You're not necessarily going to be the guy we push. Uh, and unfortunately, not long after that, he actually contracted like lung cancer. He, I think it was lung oh. cancer. He got cancer and yeah, he died of lung cancer in 20. Died. Oh, not yeah. He it didn't. It apparently, like, you know, it took him out fairly quickly. I think it was within a couple of years of him being diagnosed. Maybe That's less. True. Man, that's rough. And I, um, and I want to. His his nephew works for WWE now. Oh, who he does? Oh, yeah, Angel Garza. Yeah. I didn't know that was his uh, his um, mm. relative. Well, let me look real quickly. I'm pretty sure that was like his his nephew. I do want to call out um, L.A. Park though for being just an amazing talent, and the fatter he gets, the better he gets in the ring, and just being <laughs> just being like. Also, one of my favorite little wrestling clips of all time is like him being in the front row and that guy grabbing his mask and he just turns and punches that dude right in the face. Oh, he blasts that dude. But like La Parka is signed with MLW and he has the whole like uh, La Parka family. Yep. Uh, I think, and maybe I'm really like I could be like really telling a story here, which is not accurate, but I'm pretty sure. I think I've heard stories that Laparca's really like, while while a professional guy and certainly like a guy who's really popular, I think he's a dude who like legit could like tune you up slash might. He's the sort of like old school dude who, it's like really don't cross him. He actually might have a gun yeah. and shoot you. I I, I, <laughs> I would think not I've heard those stories. There's um from a couple years ago. There's there's some good matches he and PCO had in 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 MLW because it's two mm. it's two crazy old guys and his um. His spring break match with Masato Tanaka was just what you'd expect those two to have. Like, because Masato Tanaka doesn't give a shit. Like, two seconds into the match, just unprotected chair shot right to, like, the top of Tanaka's head. Oh. And then they just started destroying chairs because, I mean, what else are the two of them going to do? But I want to say, though, <coughs> I think I think Laparka had the best nickname ever. And I think it actually mm-hmm. got him over, but him being the chairman of WCW and he'd come out playing the the, the chairs like guitars and stuff, I, I always yeah. loved him. Mm-hmm. He had his little dance, too. Yes. He he was really unique. He had a really like fascinating look, still does. Um, and he got over because th- this is something that um, it's kind of difficult, at least in American wrestling, to do this but when you you're covered up completely and especially you're wearing a mask it's really hard to kind of emote mm-hmm. you have to do that a lot through body language and he actually was really good at that like he you could kind of he could present personality and charisma even though you know he's in a full body costume yeah and and other and other other fun tidbit about parka is um Diamond Dallas Page dressed as Laparka about this time and beat Savage on Nitro. Yeah. I love that so much. 
<laughs> oh my god, I remember marking out so hard when I saw that live. So then up next we have a retirement match. Um, and this is Kevin Sullivan versus Chris Benoit. So I wanna I wanna I wanna have a brief discussion here before mm-hmm. we get into this match. Um so because this is because so as is like valet slash bodyguard is Jacqueline mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. I want to say she is much better at China in this role because she can kind of work because China like I never found China scary but I feel like Jacqueline if you were like in some bar and you like pissed her off like she would legit like punch you in the face and maybe bite your face just to prove a point like she wouldn't even care if you knocked her out afterwards like she just would prove a point that she will punch you in the face because she, you bother her. And there was, um, it was. I think it, don't don't hold me to this, but I think when Kayfabe commentaries interviewed two two cold Scorpio, and they did F Mary kill, uh, Scorpio said, "Well, I can't kill Jacqueline because she'll just beat my ass next time she sees me." <laughs> but like, I I think she's just better than China. Like, I think I'd probably get a lot of disagreement about that because I think. It's just that WWE like propaganda machine, but I always thought China was a stiff, and like nothing she did was convincing. But I always found Jacqueline convincing, like as a oh you're on the outside, like I'm just gonna kick you in the ribs and maybe like body slam you and punch you in the face a couple times. Like I thought she was much better as a threatening like bodyguard. Here's here's what I think the difference is, like because I would actually fully agree with you. Um, China China is obviously like, the bigger star. And because she came from like a bodybuilding background was more like visually uh, imposing. Mm. But in terms of actual like believability and I don't know if she really was this way, but in terms of like if I had really had to put money on the table, like I would me as a man even getting in a fight with one of these two women yeah. Uh, I would I would hands down be like no Jackie can probably like fuck me up. <laughs> yeah. She if she wasn't really that tough, she certainly conveyed it, I think. Like it really was something that to me was very believable. We actually saw some of it in this match. <laughs> oh, and she uh, well, certainly Jackie was certainly a better worker. Like, yeah. No mm. China, I mean, she put some she put some spice on that chair she smacked over yeah. Sullivan's head. She, just that she was throwing hands like doing moves and it's like it got and any dude could have done that. And I'm not trying to make like a sexist comment because yeah. we're in an era, obviously that a lot of women actually do fight men predominantly on like the indie scene, but kind of elsewhere we, in impact, we obviously, we saw like Tessa Blanchard win the world title. Um, I'm not trying to disparage, but it's like, again, you're not going to, if you have like Alexa bliss and no one's going to believe that Alexa bliss is really going to be hurting like a Braun Strowman. But if you have, because she's presented as like a shoot background. If you have like a, sh- if you have like a, well, like Ronda Rousey, when you had Ronda Rousey, like to be doing moves on a dude, like giving him a judo throw, it's like, okay, well she's like mixed martial arts. Like if there's a believability yeah. for it. And Jackie, for someone who this is years before, you know, like the MMA type of background became like a thing in wrestling. Yeah. Uh, if she came off very <laughs> believable. I mean, but that was kind of her gimmick. Her gimmick was even back when she was doing like, the prom- uh, like the regional promotions like Miss she would Texas, fight dudes would. yeah yeah see i never thought about your your comparison brad but just sitting here chewing on it for a minute the difference in my head the difference is that 
in a match where China's going to do something, it's like they set it up and then it's like, okay, China's like, okay, I'm going to do my spot now. And my spot's, I don't know, low blow or something. Whereas with Jackie, Jackie's like, I see an opening. I'm getting on that and just goes like full wild woman after it. Well, yeah, that's so, actually a great thing because like, because like, um, China just did her thing. But like, if you got on the outside, like Jacqueline was going to be on you like a wild animal. Yeah. Like, like even when they had Benoit down and she's just like jumping on him and like kicking him. Yeah. And I, you know what I liked here too is Jimmy Hart was even like kicking Benoit. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy yeah, Hart he, got in. He didn't start off that way, but remember, like he I, he did it after like the, remember they uh they went to the the actual like beach set. Yeah, and started throwing they each tore other. that thing yeah. to pieces. Yeah, they started throwing each other into the sand. I was about to say like it, it, he like at one point Jimmy got on top of like the lifeguard stand. You remember that? Yeah. And then Benoit like just turned and like ran and like pushed over the the stand. And Jimmy would fly. He, I think he ran in part of the set. I don't know, but it was hilarious. And I after think... that, after that, which is like a nice little bit of continuity, it's like after that he didn't really he hadn't gotten really involved before. After that, then in, like when Benoit was down, like Jimmy would run him and start putting the boots to him. Didn't Jimmy? Um, wasn't Jimmy the one that hit him with the surfboard? I think he no, did. that was. Did he? Maybe. I didn't catch that part. Uh, I, 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 for some reason in my head, I'm like, did Jimmy Hart hit him with the surfboard after that? But I could be remembering wrong. I remember, but, you know, uh, I remember too with Jackie and talking about why I thought she was great is she could actually cut a promo too because I remember when they debuted her and she cut like this promo on woman and she's like she and her her line because it always sticks with me because it it was a great line but it showed how tough she was. She's like woman. She's like. I'm going to whip you like you stole something. <laughs> wow. Jackie was like an underrated worker, I feel. Like a lot of, a lot of people <laughs> don't kind of give her her due, I think, just because um, while she certainly was a unique character, like she didn't – she wasn't as flashy as some of these other no. workers, female workers, especially at the time. Um, and she was never really booked to be like – you know, the face of the promotion, even though I think she did win the, the women's title a couple times. I think she was the first when they brought it back. She won it in WWE. Yeah. Uh, she took the crap out of Sable. Like oh, yeah. they would have these, they would have these, uh, they had that feud and it suspension of disbelief was out the window of Sable beating Jackie. It's just like, no, cause Sable looked so awkward doing stuff, and Jackie just looked like she ought to just eat her up. And mm-hmm. I think the problem was is I think they brought her into TNA for the knockouts division, but I think she had gotten a little too old, and like the quality of the women there had just gotten better. Mm-hmm. Which is funny. Um, speaking of TNA, I was watching something, and it was Awesome Kong working Booker T in like Germany. Hmm. And Booker's like screwing with her, and then she just like runs him over with like this clothesline and just body slams him and splashes him. And Steiner's <laughs> on the apron. He's like, "Ooh, you're getting your ass beat." <laughs> but I think I think at that point she was just a little too old, and like I don't think she was. I think I think at that point, especially the knock that early knockout stuff, like I think that was just a little better than what she was doing because that's like. That's like Gail Kim and like Awesome Kong and ODB and just like yeah. throwing like crazy stuff at each other. Yeah, I would. Yeah, people. And Taylor Wild. 
Yeah. Yeah. People kind of, um, people I think just have short memories. Like they're, they're really more focused on what the WWE has done with their women's division last, say like five years. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I certainly do think that you have workers like Bailey and Sasha Banks, um, a couple others who are really are just like fantastic workers. Like you could put them up there with, with any of the best women's wrestlers in the world. But people do forget like in like 10, 10 years ago or so. It's been longer than that. It's been like 12 years now. Yeah. 12, 13 years. Like TNA had a fantastic women's division that, I think even like ratings wise was giving bigger ratings than the men. Yeah, there was a point yeah. where and, yeah. and just to give him credit because he was booking <laughs> it, but that was that was Dirty Dutch booking that women's division. Mm. But I, I would say there was a solid two year period where Awesome Kong was industry wise probably a top level heel, but was the heel in in TNA. Yeah. But uh, but like I just. I thought um, I just liked her. I like I said. I think where she's better than China is like China really couldn't like body slam you or do like wrestling moves, but like Jackie had the training mm-hmm. and like the know how. And I think her sense of what to do to someone was better. Jackie knew her wheelhouse and was very good working in that wheelhouse. So you know. She, if if Jackie, you know, like in this match, Jackie didn't try and, um, you know, she wouldn't try and suplex anybody, but she, I mean, she would just jump on you and wear you out, which you know makes sense. Like she she knew she knew what her wheelhouse was, and she knew when and how to use it. And and guys sold her well because I think with her too, it's like. You know, if if you had Deborah as your manager, like Miss Elizabeth, you'd be like, no, you you don't come out here with, with her, because she's going to she's going to, <laughs> she is going to beat you and then beat me up when I try to save you. So like, please just yeah. don't come out. Yeah, yeah. Now I did like the story. The story to this match was really cool and and something I don't think WWE would do because Benoit would lose every step of the way. But he had to wrestle his way through the Barbarian and Ming. And they did a really cool thing where, like, he jobbed to Ming, to Ming right before he did this. And, like, I think he jobbed convincingly to Ming on pay-per-view. And then they mm-hmm. went back to it. And I remember and, – and let's I'm, – I'm pretending, like, the murder thing didn't happen here or else, like, it would really upset me. But they did this, like, promo, I think, on Worldwide – before he's going to wrestle Ming for it because he wanted Sullivan that bad. And like woman's just like begging him not yeah, to do, do it. it. Oh, this is yeah. such a good angle. Like I, I'm just remembering this back. This was, this was such a great angle. With yeah. this being the angle it is, there is, okay, first of all, they, they look like they're really laying it in, in this match. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they probably were. Um, but Oh, you know Sullivan's was... like Sullivan's like, hey, dude, hey, I can't do a Boston accent, so I'm sorry. But he's probably like, man, I, I don't get to do this anymore. Just beat me <laughs> up. Extra... Dean. <laughs> I can't really do it either. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to talk like Kevin Sullivan, just talk like Christy Petrillo. Yeah. It's all like the same <laughs> goddamn accent. 
Um, that's this is a side note. I know this is like really like stereotypical, but the first time I actually like went up and like hung out with Chris like in person. Yeah. And you know we were conversing. It's like I mean because Chris again is very Italian, like like full blood. He's he should be a member of the FBI, full blood Italians. And it's like, why do you sound like Peter Griffin from? <laughs> shouldn't you be like Irish with this accent? Like, why are, how are you Italian? <laughs> he could be medium Sal. Oh. Yeah. But in the course of this match, you it's like okay, there's a clear heel in this, right? Like Sullivan's clearly the heel, but the announced team is not treating him that way. I like they don't talk about Benoit much. And there, it it seemed to me like it's like, why are you talking about Sullivan like he's? Why are we getting a dual face treatment? Is I guess what I'm I trying to say. I kind of I p- picked up on that, but I feel like I feel like I was being too face heelish about it. Like Sullivan was clearly the heel of the match, but they he was also at that end that end run where he starts kind of going faceish. I realized though that's a dude fighting for his career, and he just got like. He just got fucked by that guy's finisher for like three minutes straight. Well, but they were do they were I, I know what you mean, but they were doing that even during the part when they were like tearing down the set. So I was I was just so confused um, by that. And then <laughs> okay, you you mentioned it earlier about how the the finish uh, played out. I. Okay, I guess I was just kind of confused. Why would you do that as the finish instead of, like, obviously you're having a retirement match. One guy's going to retire the other. Why are you not just straight up giving him the rub? Why Why have we got to have Jackie turn here? Because like, I think it was, because that... I think the point of, I think the point of it was all of Kevin Sullivan's bullshit from, like, decades of his crap finally blew up in his face and cost him everything like it was more about it was more it, it gave the rub to benoit but I, I think at this point benoit actually did not didn't benoit didn't necessarily need the rub so it became about like sullivan getting <laughs> his ultimate comeuppance like by having his own crap like just cost him everything that's i don't know to me that just seems pretty oblique the thing is but... here though like like even like watching this match with the heat and stuff like benoit didn't need the rub by this point like benoit was no, but, equal like it, it but that's that's the point of a career match is that you're going to give the rub to the winner you are taking all of the heat of your career to transfer it on to the next guy and uh, i don't know it, it just just didn't doesn't sit super well. I was kind with of me. fine with it. Like I said, like knowing like what I know about like Kevin Sullivan over the years, like <laughs> I feel like that was like an appropriate way for his career to end. I I can see where you're coming from. I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm still I'm gonna disagree about it, but I, I see where you're coming from. Okay, so up next, um, we oh, have... Can I, um, oh, yeah, go for can it. Can I have one more comment about the match? Yeah. Yes, Matt. Um, if I was Benoit, I would have been really pissed off at, at Sullivan for, for moving over to the, like, the set piece and throwing me in the sand. 
You know why? Because because I don't like sand. No, oh, God, he did it. It's coarse and rough. Oh, and God, he did it's it. Everywhere. <laughs> he did it. Dang it. I did, my wife oh. and I still do that one. Um, still, we, my wife and I do that as a joke sometimes. Yeah, uh, I had to, I had to bring that in. Oh, it's just literally as soon as oh. I saw the sand aspect, I'm, I'm like, let me make a note in my notebook. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> yeah, I just oh oh god. Just, oh, when when I was sitting in the theater and that line happened, I think my oh. eyes rolled hard enough that it was audible so it's just oh anyway they you know they got so much wrong with the vader fall the only time i thought he they had something is when they um when he killed all the sand people and he was telling her about it and they were kind of like they were weaving like the vader theme like lightly into like the the background that's like the only time they like captured that vader magic for me in the prequels yeah i i I do not like like for me to find things to like about the prequels you're 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 looking for a diamond in the rough you know you're digging through your salad looking for bacon bits if you want your mind blown and i think it's still on youtube you might have to dig for it you need to listen to Alex Jones explain the entire plot of the prequel trilogy. Oh. And, and no, no. He, he explains, like, what George Lucas was actually going for and, like, what's going on, like, the background stuff. And it's his explanation, if they had actually executed that, would have been an amazing, like, prequel thing. Because he's talking about, like, the the motivation of everything and, like, what they're actually doing. And it's actually probably true in what they were going for, and it makes sense. But it's, it's um, it's 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 a better explanation than the movies actually turned out. But it actually makes you kind of like wish, like, it makes you kind of like the prequels until you remember like what the prequels actually ended up being. Is this the Darth Jar Jar theory? No, this is no. He it's it's him like talking about like what they were doing like with the trade like what the trade people were doing and like what the separatists were like really about and stuff. And like what Dooku was like, really like what his game was and all that stuff. Like it's not, it's really not jokey. Like it's, it's, it's him kind of being serious. (laughs) Uh, Just to, to briefly talk about the Darth Jar Jar thing. Some dude actually did. I should probably, I think I like uh, retweeted it on, uh, our social, our Twitter, but some dude did like a mock-up of Darth Jar Jar, but he basically reimagined Jar Jar as like a more sinister-looking uh, creature. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked what he did. I mean, it's it's like CGI rendered, but really like professionally done with like mm-hmm. the the best CG, the best like an updated you know 2020 2021 type technology. Mm-hmm. And he made Jar Jar look like an actual, like, really just evil, scary lizard creature. And it's like, well, hell, like, I'd be down for that. <laughs> I doubt that sort of Jar Jar. Is the, well, yeah, but... Is Darth that's... Jar Jar really that he was the ultimate bad guy all along and blah, blah, blah? That he was well, supposed to be. bought into that, but... Yeah, I, I've, I've seen people make the argument... Look, I've watched Phantom Menace once. It was enough to convince me that no it 
they, they George didn't know where the hell he was going and padded out the movie with 45 minutes of one pod racing set piece because he didn't know what else the hell to do and he didn't have enough to fill out the running time. And then Jar Jar stumble bumming around because he don't know what else to do with. No, no, don't don't try and sell me on that. I ain't buying. It's just God that Phantom Menace is what killed me from being a huge Star Wars fan to to just liking Star Wars. All right, the Phantom Menace and the rest of the prequels did it in. It just God. I mean the. The sequel trilogies makes the Phantom Menace look like a look like a Citizen I, Kane and not even remotely. Phantom Menace is still garbage. It just so happens that a lot of the sequel stuff I mean, is I guess too. The Force Awakens probably is better than the <laughs> Phantom Menace, but I don't think um, I don't think the other two were better. Force Awakens, yeah, Force Awakens is fine. You know what? Force Awakens is fine, and it's, it's exactly what the fandom needed at the time. It was a warm blanket that said, hey, this is the Star Wars that you loved. This is what we're doing. Yeah, it all looks familiar, but we're trying to wrap you in a warm blanket and tell you it's all going to be okay. And then we get to The Last Jedi, and it's like, you know that warm blanket? Yeah, it was warm because it was covered in shit. Well, you know, the problem so. is, and I think people rightly have called him out on this, but J.J. Abrams is really good at giving you you know, making you go, what's in the box? And J.J. Abrams is like, I don't know. Like, I didn't think that far ahead. Like, <laughs> it's the community joke. Yeah. It's like, lost is why you're not having a good Christmas. It's a metaphor for undelivered expectations. That's now, actually, the metaphor for undelivered expectations is Prime Day. <laughs> what, you don't want to... A 50-gallon drum of lube delivered to your house? No, that they marked up 10% to take 15% off? No, I do not. Mm. So, so bash at the beach, so right? So up next we have um, Jeff Jarrett defending the U.S. title against Steve McMichael. So we've talked about Jarrett um, previously on this show, but I've really developed a new appreciation for him. And again, because we talked about in the Diesel match, and he kind of does the, the exact same thing here with Mongo. But if you put him in there with someone like Mongo and even Diesel to an extent, like, he really he really covers for them well. Like, in this match, like, Mongo does about nothing, but, like, Jarrett does this great job of just, like, pinballing and, like, throwing all these, like, bells and whistles in there that you don't even notice, like, Mongo barely did anything. And, and one thing Jared did that I really loved is there's this dude, and he does it, like, throughout multiple matches in, like, the front row that, like, really gets in the heels' faces. Yeah. And he gets into it with Jared, and I love this. He, like, pulls Mongo out of the ring, and he, like, runs him right into the guardrail right in front of that guy that was, like, he's mad talking shit and just, like, stares him down. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's, like, that's, like, really, that's that's a really good, like, piece of healing right there. One of in in watching this match, first of all, Brad, when we we were going back and forth before um, the episode tonight, you brought that up in my comparison. Jeff Jarrett is kind of the in-ring equivalent to Paul Heyman. He accentuates your strengths and covers your weaknesses. And I appreciate Jarrett a lot more than that now than I did in times past. But here's the other thing: this match starts. People hate. Jeff Jarrett. Oh, and he plays like, right. He comes into out it. for the he match. Starts, he starts. Oh my the crowd god! Too. 
Oh God, they hate him so much. He has so much. This was right after he got kicked out of the Horsemen. <clears throat> People hate his guts. And I'm going to ask a quick background question because honestly, I've, I've never, never thought to look for, to, for the answer to this. But you know, Mongo and Deborah comes out, and they've got the the Halliburton briefcase. Was there ever a reason that they had a Halliburton briefcase like back in the day? Wasn't or it, was it based just like, on? Well, we need a Didn't that come gimmick? in at like Bash at the Beach? I mean, no, Great American Bash '96. Wasn't that like? his bribe bunny like when he turned on oh, kevin green yeah okay yes. it was his payoff yeah okay okay thank you oh for god i pulled Sorry. that out of my Too ass like I'm, I'm damn i'm good no you're a, you're completely accurate yeah that's what i thought <laughs> okay Thank you. I'm sorry. I've been hitting the head too much. I'd completely Cause, forgotten. Because to go back okay. to that, I'm trying to remember this. Like, don't they like hand it to him and he looks in it? He gets this big smile on his face and he like smacks Kevin Green upside the head with it. I think that's right. Yeah, because we did we did talk about that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Too many concussions. My memory isn't. No, what it I, should I didn't. Be. I would never have. I would never. <laughs> That's a good question to ask because, like, I just remember him always having it. So, like, I would have never connected that that's the origin of it unless you had asked and I had to, to think about it. <clears throat> so, uh, in terms of things to call out in this match, there isn't much. Uh, when when Mongo is, you know, knocking Jared around, he's got this spot where he's doing a running knee into the corner. The problem is to start to cut off, he goes in and he, he hits the wrong knee on the turnbuckle. Whereas, you know, he's supposed to go in and hit the left. He goes in with the right and Jarrett has to like work the right, then transition it to the left to get it to the correct side. <laughs> but that's, I mean, in terms of if I'm going to nitpick on anything, that's really all I got. This was good. I liked at the end that Mongo tried to, um, tried to block the briefcase i liked um, jared. it didn't do anything but he tried i like jared going into the stance like he wanted <laughs> to like try and tackle mongo like early in the match i thought that was funny and it was just him being like a little douche yeah man jeff jared was so good at being just a just a s- snotty prick in this era like so good at well, it. Well, I liked. I I thought what what I thought was funny is at the beginning of the match they're like giving it to him, and Jarrett's like, "Oh, like you guys don't like me? Like, well, I'm just gonna do my little strut because I know that's just gonna make yeah. it worse." <laughs> yeah, he did that like three or four times, didn't he? Yeah, and and his selling was really good in this because anytime like he oversold everything. Yeah, yeah, he did. But like, I thought I thought he did like, but like I said, like this. This this is really illuminating what I think is um he's he doesn't get enough credit for is just like he really like pinballs well for guys and like just does a good job of covering for them. Yeah. You know what's funny is I Matt, s- we've been going. I saw a match I've seen matches of him like in his first year of wrestling and he was like insta good. Like he came out like working good. You grow up in Jerry Jarrett's house, you better, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say just in general, I, I I almost – I feel bad for Jeff Jarrett in the sense that I don't think he really gets – he I don't think he has and I don't know if he ever will get the credit he really deserves. I mean he came, in a, he came around a point of time when he was mostly just presented as a, a mid-carder in mm-hmm. the WWE 
and then when he when he was going back to the first time he was or first couple of times I guess he was in WCW um, or like the mid 90s like he was kind of presented uh, more as like a mid card or two and it wasn't until he went back and like what basically when WCW was ending like the last couple of years of his existence did he get pushed to like the main event level but I think people didn't view him at that level um, I did feel his he kind of got rehabilitated more when he was when he started DNA and he was the the champ there um, but the, he's he's a really great worker like he he was a good promo he's a good worker um, I felt he was at least at the end like he was believable as like a main event uh, talent um, but I don't think he gets enough credit like he's he was just really really consistently good there's um yeah. I think it's 2010 like he and Kurt Angle have like this insane run of matches that are just like awesome. Mm-hmm. Remember, because he was the... he was taunting, because that was actually that's actually one of the gimmicks I wish he would have done longer. And I think Matt remembers us from TMA when he was doing the the double M A Jeff Jarrett gimmick. Yeah, and I huh. I love that so much. I thought that was hilarious. Wasn't part of the gimmick that he was actually kind of bad at it? Yes, because that's how they debuted yeah. Crimson, because he was picking on Amazing Red, and Red's like, I'm going to bring my brother, and Jared's like laughing at him, and yeah. then they bring Crimson out, who's this this big tatted up guy, and Jared's like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. See, for Jared in the time period of the show that we're watching, you know, white, white spangly suited Jared, I guess. If it had not been for the NWO stuff going on at the time, I think that this he could have been a main event player with that gimmick in that in that time, you know, in WCW. But the top of the card was so. I guess the, all the seats were taken Bloated. that there wasn't any moving him up there. Yeah, it, well, it was clogged. Might be a good way of putting it, but <clears throat> because it, it took so long to get to the payoff to move the storyline forward that you weren't going to move anybody up there. So I think Jarrett could have done it. He had the heat. He had this, and he could work. <clears throat> I, his, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, his slap nuts phase just irritated me because it, it didn't work for me at all. It, Jeff, Jeff Jarrett is like a good wrestler, but he's also a kind of a sniveling, whiny douche nozzle who's also really good like that worked for me but this like no i'm jeff jarrett i'm a badass you know i wear i have my shortcut hair and my orange sunglasses and i hit people with guitars i'm like come on dude let's let's not let's not no. let's not forget his greatest accomplishment in wcw he did el kabong beetlejuice from the howard stern show <laughs> okay I don't remember how okay, that, I don't but, remember the context know, of how that happened. I do remember him hitting Beetlejuice with a guitar. It, it was just it was just one of those drop ins. It's like, oh, here's a semi famous person we're gonna put on the show, and it's like Jeff Jarrett's like, well, I'm gonna hit him. And it's, uh, okay, but speaking, I guess this is happening. Speaking of late era WCW, though, my favorite gimmick that oh, the only thing that was worth watching TV like during that new blood era though was Positively Canyon where there'd be a backstage segment and it would just linger a little too long and you'd see some poor schlub walking around and Canyon would just diamond cutter them randomly <laughs> backstage. 
I remember them doing that with exterior shots. They'd be like, here's the arena we're in, and then down in the corner you just see Cannon run run up and diamond cut somebody. I think there's a Judy Bagwell, too. <laughs> uh, probably. Poor Judy Bagwell. So then um, up next we have um, Scott Hall and Randy Savage uh, against Diamond Dallas Page and his mystery partner, Kurt Henning. And if you watch it on the network, you have to hear their just pathetic replacement for Paige's music. I hate it so much. What's it sound like? I, oh, I, really? I watched. I didn't even pay attention. It's it, instead of it being okay. So Paige's original music was the "Smells Like Teen Spirit" Muzak, basically. Is it yeah, his god awful, like <laughs> weird, like military sounding theme? And, and... Instead, yeah. Instead, this sounds like a a Valium laced silver chair song dun 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 Silverchair, so like that's a name i haven't heard in a long and time I, yeah well okay you know silver chair was in this time it was in that time period with like um it, it was like a more low-key nirvana maybe maybe not saying it silver chair it, it was, was like this... the, the like was like the last <laughs> vestiges of grunge i would say Okay, and they were correct me if I'm wrong. They were kind of low key, right? Like they weren't intense like other grunge was. Were no, they? No, they were pretty low key. Okay, so yeah, that's that's what I'm. That's okay. I'm remembering correctly in this case. That's why I'm thinking it's just it's just this like anemic guitar playing, whereas Page's original music was like higher energy. And like you would hear the opening riffs, and you'd be like, "Yeah, that sounds like Team Spirit, but that means Page, cool. you know." It popped the crowd instead of in like the opening chords are like dun 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 dun. dun. It's like this dull progression down the scale. He had the, of like, but DDP was like times. the the sounds like Teen Spirit thing was was better though because it's like he does the self high five and then you hear him going like too cool and stuff like over the music. Yeah. Like they personalized it decently to him, and um, yeah, they put it put um um voice clips on it yeah. to. <laughs> so yeah that was that like but the network replacement music is just so god awful so i have can i um oh go ahead matt wait but, go ahead matt. But, but, sorry this is like a complete non sequitur but uh it just this conversation reminded me of something especially since we're talking about jeff Jarrett and like tna um a, <laughs> a really underrated um in terms of like theme songs that people kind of forget about but it also fits in with the whole like this theme song is basically just a rip off of an actual <laughs> music song but mm-hmm. christian's tna theme song which is basically just a rip off of evanescence oh yeah 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 that was a good one you guys remember that yeah. like that's a really that's a, actually a really good theme song i would need to go back and listen i don't remember that one it is a rip off of one of those evanescence songs from their first album i, I can't remember which one but it is like such it's the same riff yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Hmm. Now, um, okay. I have a question. Did, did was this just me? Or did it seem like hitting like wasn't like he was really stiff in the back for this whole match? Like I felt like he he didn't like he obviously didn't have anything on his back, but he looked like he was like trying to work with a back brace <laughs> on, except there was no back brace. Like everything was like really stiff. Like he was trying not to bend his back and stuff. <laughs> did seem really stiff and and he didn't really seem very motivated yeah 
that's uh, let me see. It's in my note. Henning is kind of bulked up here and doesn't seem very into it. But see, it's oddly though that that kind of plays into the story of the match, though. But it's weird though because I don't know if he was playing it or he might have just been rusty because I think this is the first time he had wrestled in a long time. But we saw him a couple weeks later on WCW Nitro 100 with Mortis, and that was actually like a decent match. <laughs> And then in the fall, he yeah. starts, like, ripping off those, like, good matches on Nitro week after week when he had, like, the U.S. title. Yeah. But, um, I did, like, hear, though, the spot where Scott Hall, like, does the toothpick to the face, and then he just spits his gum right in Scott Hall's face. Yeah. Uh, that, there was this whole sequence at the beginning of the match that established Scott Hall and Kurt Henning as being equals. Like, everything one of them did to the other, the other would answer back. And, you know, uh, on like an equal footing thing. And I I really dug that, because it's like, oh man, that's, you know, they're, they're going out of their way to establish, it's like, hey, this match is, we know Paige and Savage are on equal footing, we're establishing Henning and Hall are on equal footing. Like, I really liked that. And Heenan did a really good job here of, like... Heenan's really good at, like, estab- establishing his previous history with these people and their um, their history with other people, like, within the promotion. So I thought he did a good job of, like, being, <laughs> like... Oh, yeah, Henning's got, like... Has beef with both of these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. You're right. They do that, too. So then, um, um, I guess what happens here is, so Paige is, like, hanging on the ropes and trying to save himself, but as he's doing this, well, um, heading... Before we get there, I do want to point out, the interesting, the other part of the story in this match, is it just me, or did it look like the NWO was kind of on the back foot for most of this? I would say yes. Like, Henning as the, as the special, yeah. the, the surprise partner like legit through them in an age where the NWO didn't seem to back down for anything. He was like, he, he just shown, I don't know how many nitros ago he had shown up because he showed up at the end of one, but I think he'd only been there like maybe three weeks at this point. Yeah. Because, because they'd also, they've also pointed (laughs) out like Raven, like they did an interview with like Raven and Stevie Richards before this. So they had like a lot of, that's true. A lot going on. But, um, so basically what happens is Paige is like trying to save himself on the ropes. Um, Henning gets whipped into the part of the rope where Paige is holding it, which obviously like hurts his back. That might've been why he's working stiff back to like sell that later. Mm-hmm. So then Henning like kind of gets hurt on that and he gets mad at Paige and pretty much blindsides him, walks away. Paige gets an outsider's edge flying elbow drop and beat um i actually just yeah i actually forgot that's what happened i always thought i always kind of just remembered that henning just turned on him because he's a dick but um <laughs> there they actually did like an in-match reason for that it seemed like it took very little provocation like Paige is trying to get in the ring when henning hits the ropes there and then henning's just like you know what screw you i'm out it's like that i mean they're they're promoting henning as a heel here i guess but it's like that didn't um 
didn't take much. Well, I mean, he didn't have like a history right? with Paige, though. I mean, so I think no, I think to, to take to take Henning's side, like this dude who asked you to be in a match you don't really know, and then he screws up like not even like eight minutes into the match and like mess like and you hit your back that you've been having like issues with for at this point six or seven years like i think i might be a little pissy about it too yeah fair enough i mean i I mean he's obviously the heel after this but like i think i think knowing the history of kurt hitting like you really kind of played in i think even heenan kind of said you know hey you know that that guy's got back issues like i think that's why he kind of freaked out or Heenan. I don't remember that part, to be they honest. They mentioned his back problems. But that's okay. Point. But I, I but um I think I forgot that just because he turned on the horseman so quick because Henning really kinda like bounces around <coughs> being a douche for a little bit. But that but it does Yeah. It does um this does this feud goes to Starcade where Paige beats him for the US title. I actually think he steals the US yeah. title. Um, from him before that match. Because he, like, walks out on a Saturday night because it's just, like, on a chair, and he just, like, walks away with it while Henning's wrestling. I don't remember that. But I liked um, I liked when he was doing his mini-feud with Flair, though, after he injured Flair at Fall Brawl. And Flair, like, just in the match, just, like, takes the U.S. title and, like, puts it over his face and just, like, starts stomping his face and gets DQ'd. I always thought that was cool. Yeah. I yeah, that's that's a good um, way of. Hen- I wanted so badly to have a four horseman with Henning in the enforcer role for a while. Like I really wanted to see that go somewhere. Yeah, I kind. And of we did. we never got the chance. What did you think of this, Matt? I didn't really care for this match. It's probably my least favorite match on the show. It just <laughs> it seemed kind of odd, like. It was Henning's debut, but it, that didn't really have a lot of heat. Like, he was kind of, like, stiff. He didn't really add, I felt, a lot to the match. DDP, like, worked his ass off. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. It just it felt like there was some sort of, like, disconnect from this. So, I don't know. Yeah. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting is, like, uh, this was really just, like, not even. But it, this, only, like, five years earlier, you had... Survivor Series 92, where you actually had um, Savage and Henning going up against another guy in this match, Scott Hall. Yeah, it was was it Flair and Hall? Yeah, and it's like five years, and the landscape had completely changed. That was actually a good angle, like a rare good WWE angle, because they did that on prime <clears throat> time. Because, like, it, it, for those that haven't seen it, so, like, Savage got to pick his partner, and he picks mm-hmm. Henning... And like Heenan, Bobby Bobby Heenan was there, and he goes ballistic. And he like scoffs at it, and Henning's like, Henning's kind of just like, well, screw you, I'm gonna actually do it. He's like, yeah, he like Henning turned to the camera, and he's like, I accept. Yeah. Yeah. And Heenan, it's a great angle. People should like, it's on YouTube because I've watched it actually, probably in the last like year or two. And Henning is like, basically like, what's the matter with you? And he slaps Henning. And immediately, he knows that's the wrong thing to have done. <laughs> and because Henning, like, just gets pissed off. And he didn't immediately goes from, like, obviously, like, the, the 
the bravado, like the being annoyed, pissed off, like insolent, where he's like slapping Henning to immediately just turns completely like chicken shit heel. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean it. I'll give you anything. Like, and Henning just basically, I think he pours water on his head and intimates like he's going to kick the shit out of him, but he doesn't. But it's, yeah. it's, it's like actually a really good, intense angle. What a surprise, Bobby Heenan. Like really selling the angle, making it all work. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? You know what's one of my favorite um, Heenan angles? Just because Gorilla loved like replaying it for months on primetime to taunt him was when he does that thing with Ken Patera, and Patera takes him on like that, like that belt, and like whips him, and Heenan does that like insane bump and sells it like he broke his neck, mm. and then he's like wearing this neck brace and like. Like for prime time for months after that, they're both sitting there and Gorilla's like, like let's look at this like Ken Patera clip again. It just laughs about it, <laughs> and, it and he and he did just there like yeah, hilarious. Yeah, but like man, like it because it people don't realize I think because of um because of his neck injury, but man, like he used to bump like insane when he would bump. Yeah. And he, he he didn't have to do it often. And he's a quietly big dude because I think he's like over six feet. Like there was something with him, and I'm like, wow, he's. I think he was standing next to Harvey Wiffleman. Like, oh, Heenan's like a huge guy. Well, he was gonna start out as a wrestler, I think. He was a wrestler, and then, yeah. Because he used to joke about how terrible he used to be, like especially during Goldberg, and he was like, <laughs> he was like. He was like, yeah, I started like 149. Like there was a zero in front of that, but like I, you know. <laughs> and he used to talk about on like the weekend shows about like if they did a battle royal or anything. He's like, oh yeah, I used to like hide under the ring and wait till the end and try and like jump the guy and stuff. But yeah, I think he, he started as a wrestler. Okay. And um, he he's a really underrated, it's a really underrated pair of him and like Nick Bockwinkle and like the AWA. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I love Heenan. If you don't love Bobby Heenan as a wrestling fan, then there's some self-examination you need to be doing. But I, I agree with Matt that the <coughs> the, um, the 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 one for that Survivor Series is like I would call it a rare great WWF angle from like the early nineties. So up next, uh, we have Ric Flair versus Rowdy Roddy Piper, and mm-hmm. I would call this easily the best match of the show. Um, I just love this. Like Flair, yeah. Flair, I think, kind of turned heel for this, and you could tell he was just he was like he was dusting off like the old playbook, and he was just going all like balls to the wall, like. <laughs> Flair was having the most flair match he could, it seemed like. Well, the thing... And in the meantime, Piper was having the most Piper match he could, I think. Well, what I loved is, like, Piper just gobbles him up at first, and then, like, the ref gets involved, and, like, Piper turns his back, and Flair just dives the leg. Yeah, that shot block. Yeah, and I was like, oh, like... (laughs) And the crowd, like, turned on him pretty quick at that point. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I love here, yeah, that chop block. In my notes, it says Flair takes over in the most Flair way possible. Um, but 
Piper conveys holding a grudge like almost nobody else. Like the just the the seething hatred that Piper could convey across the ring. It's like Piper and DDP and like maybe Moxley. Like those are the three that come to mind for me about guys who could just project that. It's like I am oh my god, I just seeing you makes me want to just wreck your face. Well Flair kinda was just like like it was obvious at the start like Piper was way more pissed off about this than Flair was. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what led to this match though anymore. So they had been Piper and Flair had been teaming against the Outsiders, right? I remember that. And Flair turned on Piper at some point. I don't remember why. Okay, I do remember. I remember them challenging for the tag titles at some point. I think they won by DQ. Mm, I'm not sure. Because I remember, because one of my one of my recollections around this time, I think it was Flair and Benoit challenged for the tag titles on Nitro and lost. Maybe. Because I think Benoit ate like the, the 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 knife edge on the win, and I remember that being a really enjoyable match at the time. Mm, I don't remember that one. Uh, I wish I, I wish I could tell you, but I I don't remember. Um... I don't remember that. But I that did match. some looking on this because Matt made a claim, and I tend to agree with what he said. And he said that this is probably the last good Piper match, and I think he's dead on with that one. I, I didn't go researching on on subsequent Piper matches, so uh, he doesn't wrestle much after this, honestly. Well, this is a really good Piper match. This is probably like this. Arguably, might be his last great match. And I'm not sure what I would rate this if I put like stars for it, but this is actually a really good match, and it's it's almost like these dudes like shaved ten years off and just worked an old school I would, match. I would I, I was feeling generous when I watched this and really enjoyed it. I'd probably I would be willing to give it four, um, maybe three and three fourths, like in that range. But it was um, I'd have to watch it again. I I don't know that I would give it four, but uh, maybe in the three and a half to three and three fourths range. I I probably slept on this when my more mar- like smarky like moves phase, but like is it like is like um is a complete package <sighs> of like narrative and like the way they worked it. I would say this is it's the best match on this show. I would say, mm-hmm. and I would say um I would say it's probably a match that needs to be revisited with with I think more modern eyes that appreciate narrative more because I think I think this probably got slept on at the time. Oh yeah. I think it absolutely got slept on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh one thing I really did like about this match because it, it kind of like subverted a couple things cuz once like Mongo and Benoit came out, I was like, oh, "Okay, here we go." Like it's going to be like some sort of schmas finish. Uh, but then they really subverted that by actually like Piper basically outsmarted the horseman. Yeah. Like there was an instant where I really honestly thought like he, that Mongo was distracting the ref, but and Benoit was climbing up and it looked like Piper was just going to like eat. Uh, he was covering Ric Flair who's down the mat. 
Yeah. And it looked like he was going to eat one of Benoit's flying headbutts, but he was completely like aware of it. So he moved and then Benoit obviously like does the headbutt to flare. Yeah. I was like, I honestly thought, cause I was, I'm, I've been trained at this point to be like, Oh, that's the finish. Like it's going to be like a, like a bullshit finish where, you know, the heels cheat to win, but no, like Piper didn't do that. He actually outsmarted all of them. Mm-hmm. And then throws the sleeper on flair and actually gets the, uh, he gets the victory. Yeah. Which it's like, I actually really appreciate that. I'm like, wow, that's actually, it's one of the rare instances where you had some, you had a little bit of overbooking <coughs> with the, the interference and the run-ins, but yeah, it actually played out where that didn't, that didn't actually affect the finish. Like the, the face actually was too smart for that to happen and still came out ahead. I actually thought that was really like clever. Yeah. This was really, you know, thinking you talking about that made me realize this is actually really disciplined for a WCW NWO show for like run-ins and like bullshit. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it there there was not a whole lot. Of, God, it, that drove me crazy. As it seemed like every time there was going to be a big match uh, during the NWO era, there was going to be a run-in. I, and I'm just like, God. I used to hate that. Like especially when you started getting into like '98, where like the main event would be going on and the crowds just looking at the entrance way. And they, the crowd all looks the entrance way because here comes somebody. Because, of course, it's that point in the match. Here comes somebody. Um, my notes, the way I the way I see this match is that, you know, Flair is being Flair. Piper is fighting back as the grizzled old vet who keeps fighting out of sheer spite. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's, that's the thing is Flair takes over and Piper just keeps trying to come back just out of sheer raw spite. And it's, I I just enjoyed that so much because we have this, like you said, Matt, we have a KG veteran who is who is smart enough and clever enough to handle what gets thrown at him. You, you know, was, <laughs> like I really appreciated that. Also, a, a thing I liked about this match, and I had to listen to it twice because I was like listening, and Piper gets like a big pop, and then like there's a. There's like a weird sound because like I the what I was listening to didn't have like amazing audio, but I'm like mm-hmm. oh that wasn't like a boo or a thing. So I listen back. Oh, that's the crowd going woo like in unison like when uh. his stuff starts up. And like that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, because he was still like even ratings wise until like because a fun fact about WCW is that Super Brawl match of Hogan and Flair in like '99 where people were starting to think they were already dead, did, like, some insane buy rate and was, like, a top five all-time, like, WCW pay-per-view. Because I still love Flair. Because, because and, and that's actually one of the things that damaged them really bad was them le- letting Flair convince them to turn him heel again because, like, like, I don't think people this far away realize it, but, like, even until almost the bitter end when they couldn't draw ratings anymore, like, Flair was just, like, like, especially when he came back, there was, like, a year run, like, when he came back and they did that ceremony, Mm -hmm. like, there was a point where he was, like, an insane ratings draw for, like, eight months straight. Yeah. Everybody loved him. Yeah. And I think he, I think his segments were, like, beating, like, WWE segments, even, like, well, like, it had turned the other way, but, like, He's just like he's he was the fucking man for a long time. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I forgot to say, and I wanted Matt mentioned Piper being aware of Benoit's head, but while I was watching the match, 
like Benoit comes out and he starts climbing the ropes and Piper starts to get up from the cover and he looks up at Benoit and he gets back down. I was like, oh man, they just blew the spot. And then it, it hit me. It's like, no, he's suckering him in. He changed his mind halfway through getting up and is suckering him in. That, I, God, I just, I love, I, so much about this match I just loved. I, and, uh, and one of my other favorite, like, I, I'm going to call it a horseman run, and even though technically it wasn't, but the WrestleMania 18 were like Flair ducks and, and Taker just runs <laughs> right into the Arn spine buster. Oh, my God. And it was such a good spine buster. Yeah, but that was te- that's technically not horseman, but I'm going to call it horseman because it's horseman. Arn has the best spine yeah, buster yeah. ever. And people that just do the the up and down are doing it wrong. Like a real spine buster is the Arn flip. And I will fight. I, I, if anyone listens to this podcast, like I will fight you if you disagree. The up and down is a variant on the spine buster instead of the twist. And I had to do the variant because I couldn't get enough time and someone to work with to get the twist version worked out. Oh, physically. Um, it just because it popped in my head and it kind of it's applicable a little bit to this because he, he was involved. But one of the things I forgot that I really liked about the Kevin Sullivan Benoit match was Sullivan's like biting Benoit and Benoit yeah. just has enough and like starts biting him <laughs> back. Oh, yeah. They, and they spend a, a lot of time driving that point home yeah. in a good way, in a good way. But I but he was involved in this and. Piper might have bitten Flair at some point because Piper would do that. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. This takes us into the main, doesn't it? Yeah, so the main event is why we're all here. This got shown on SportsCenter. This is Lex Luger and the Giant versus Hollywood, Hulk Hogan, and Dennis Rodman. So I wanted to say, um, I actually thought Dennis Rodman, like the stuff he did looked pretty good. And I thought it helped that he's obviously not like a like a celebrity, like he's big, like and he didn't look out of place like with his size as far as this match went. The stuff he did was good, but it I could tell it was very limited because they kept doing they, they kept doing the hit the ropes leapfrog spot over and over again. And I'm just like, oh, he only learned like I thought they, they played yeah. that off well, though, because I liked, like, he would do that, then he'd get something on them, and then they'd go and do it again, and he'd do the leapfrog. But, like, he did that to Luger once, and he caught him with something, but then he did it to Luger again, and then Luger just, like, ran him over with a clothesline. Yeah. I'm sorry, Matt. I I cut you off a minute ago. No, I, I completely agree. Like, it, it was it – was he was very limited. He did mm-hmm. not do a whole lot. Um which I guess in a sense he didn't have to, uh, because the thing about this match is like uh, everything he did do got like a huge reaction. It had such heat. Like he, like the first move, I mean, he didn't really do a lot of actual moves, but like when <laughs> no. the very, like his first interactions, which didn't even occur until like, like four or five minutes into the match. Like he gives, was it Luger? I think he does like an arm drag yeah. and yeah. the, the whole place like erupts. Yeah. Um, because obviously, like the novelty of him actually wrestling was like a big thing, and people people have to realize like the context. Like, you had celebrities do stuff before then. At this point, um, I mean, it goes mm-hmm. back some some years. Like, even like look look at WrestleMania one. You had uh, 
get Mr. T involved. Uh, and Mr. T was like a big cultural star at that time. Yeah. But even like a few years, just a few years before this, you had the main event of WrestleMania was LT versus Bam Bam Bigelow. And then LT actually did a lot more like yeah. actual stuff than Rodman did here. But this was an era in like the late nineties where, you know, Rodman was part of the bulls and mm-hmm. they were championship team. Like he was, he was, he was big. He was a big star. This was like the same. I think this is the same year as their 70 win season. Yeah. I mean, he was big. Like, this isn't like an a... LT. Like, when the LT thing happened, like, LT wasn't, like, the name that he was. Mm. This was, like, this was, like, Rodman that, yeah. like, his, like, him on the Howard Stern show, like, dating Carmen Electra, like, yeah, being yeah. on magazines in a wedding dress, like, that that yeah. stuff. To further context, if you go to Netflix and watch The Last Dance, they talk about Rodman going to wrestling shows and missing practices oh, when yeah. they're getting ready for the NBA Finals. Like, that's yeah. how how big and, this is. And I think it needs yeah. to be stated, like, just to, to give him credibility, but, like, Rodman was a tough dude. Like, he was 6'7", and he was... Let me just put it this way, like, he's in the Hall of Fame, not for his offensive prowess. He was in there because, like, this guy is 6'7", and he was averaging some seasons, like, 18 rebounds a game. Oh, no, he he deservedly is in the Hall of Fame. Like, his numbers, like, he, the the only thing, obviously, is, like, his his off-the-court shenanigans are, you know, almost, like, legendary. But the guy was, like... And a world-class basketball and, star and, like he he deserved and this it. is like old school nba when he was doing this this is like when you're under the hoop like it was acceptable behavior to get like punched in the face like, yeah like throw throw them bows like they brought the throw those the bows. bulls brought him in to deal with Shaq, and he he succeeded yeah. in that mm-hmm. i remember um it, it was a few years before this but uh, I was in middle school. The last year I played basketball was in middle school, and one of the coaches told me, "He goes, look, man, you get you got to fight more under the hoop." And I'm like, "How in the world am I supposed to do that?" He goes, "Go," because at the time he was on the Spurs. He goes, "Go watch Dennis Rodman. He throw he tucks the ball in and throws elbows to get people off of him. I need you to do that." And I was just like, "Damn, okay." <clears throat> so you, you know, no slouch. And this was a big, like you guys said, this is a big cultural zeitgeist moment and he wasn't like mm-hmm. i i was actually surprised because i expected him to be like skinnier but like his arms and stuff like he actually i mean like look wise he looked like he was fine like with like luger and giant <coughs> yeah he i mean he has a lot of it was a lot of what we basically consider like lean muscle mass mm-hmm. um i mean because again he's like he's very tall he's six, like legit he's six seven mm-hmm. um but i mean He's like over 200 pounds, which if you haven't stretched over a six foot seven frame, you're not going to look as you're not going to look like Braun Strowman or, you know, one of the like original like Kane's original size or something like that. But I mean, he did look he looked believable. Yeah. And that's obviously in wrestling. It's not really reality, but the whole point is like you are you need to look like le- somewhat legit. And I do feel like that was the case with him. Like he, he did look believable. Plus, I mean, again, he was a he was a real life sports superstar, so he did have like a legit sports background to kind of to make him come off as believable. Yeah. Now, and it's, 
sorry to cut oh, you off. One, one last thing. Like he did. Uh, Rodman had like ungodly like charisma. So I mean that we know how far that goes with in wrestling. I mean mm-hmm. you could you could really be like the absolute drizzling shits as a worker, but if you have like tremendous charisma, <laughs> like you could actually get by on that. Whoever whoever added him to the NWO or figured that out or figured up out he would be like it w- it's a rare moment where other than like Mike Tyson and the WWF a year later like it's really mm-hmm. being on top of pop culture which wrestling doesn't do a good job with like they grabbed it, him at the right time and yeah. it it made perfect logical sense because the NWO obviously were heels and cool heels at that point too and you had Rodman who his whole you know real life gimmick was that he was this bad boy so it was like a, a perfect synergy yeah but i what i like though with some of the spots i liked in this i liked when the giant was in there <laughs> and hogan and rodman kept trying to jump on him together to like pin him and and giant would just toss both of them like a couple of fleas yeah <laughs> and i liked when um when luger got his payback on the arm drag and like Rodman ends up in the corner with the giant and the giant like growls at him and like Rodman like pisses his pants and runs away. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm trying to find something to be sure real quick. I don't have an exact answer, but I, it might have been Rodman's idea to do this because apparently he'd been into wrestling prior and just not, like gotten involved you can tell though because like my one complaint about this match is i think i think um well rodman you could really tell like was just loving every second he was in there Mm -hmm. but like you could tell like hogan was really because sometimes with heel hogan is he you can tell he's just having fun like stooging for people and stuff and chewing the scenery yeah. Good lord. I love like <laughs> like when like someone will atomic drop him or something and he just walks around like holding his butt and he's just like, Oh my god Like there's just some great stuff he does. Actually my favorite Hogan one is um when he gets into it with that old lady. Oh and yeah, he's, like, I remember sell- that very and he's well. like selling for her, like <laughs> and stuff. Like I just he's um he loves his healing. Yeah. Um just quick, God, they had they kept such a slow pace in this match to just kind of keep Rodman from having to do anything to to cover for the fact that he didn't he didn't have a whole lot he didn't have a whole lot of bullets in his gun. So you know they they I mean they took their time and the crowd hated him. You can tell that he didn't have a whole lot of time because his lockup was terrible. If if you watch him going in, it's just like, oh, oh god, oh god, that's that's like, no, that's that's like day one stuff. Their double um, their double um, hip toss on the giant looked pretty good. I thought. <coughs> yeah, it it's also a testament of the giant going over so easy. You know, oh, he was a he was a lean, um, trim guy here. Uh, I also liked um talking about Hogan stooging is when um when they went for the test of strength and like the second he locked up with Giant he like started screaming and like poked him in the eyes. 
<laughs> Hogan was such a good heel. Yeah. He was so good. I mean, that's we could do an entire show just appreciating him being a heel because he was so goddamn good at it. Mm-hmm. Like he just got it. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, Hogan had you know is one of the biggest stars in wrestling ever, arguably, arguably the biggest ever. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, like the dude, the dude was savvy enough to stick to stay with <laughs> have a long and storied career. But mm-hmm. I mean, he was just so good, and it was like little things like this, like just him, just being like a chicken shit. Yeah, like heel where yeah, you put him in a, a the whole like lockup like that, and he just starts like wailing like a cat yeah one of my one yeah. of my favorites he ever did was it was the rematch he had with sting on nitro after starcade and like sting does like the hulk up on him and he like gets his offense on and like hogan like goes down on the mat and like sting like just runs out of energy midway through on the ropes and he collapses and he headbutts hogan like right in the dick and like Sting is like face down on the mat, and like Hogan's like curly, like shuffling on the ground, like because he just got his balls crushed. Like that's one yeah. of my favorites of his. Okay, I, I'm gonna be that guy now, because um, I like this match did a great job for what it was supposed to do. I don't really like it all that much um and here's why is it god this is gonna make me sound like such a contrarian i think it was in foley's book there was a story about muhammad ali went to world class i think and there's a whole bunch of people and they feed in and Ollie's throwing punches and they go down they go down and they go down and he hits jake the snake with one and jake just kind of stands there and like gestures Ali to do it again. So Ali throws another one. He stands there. He's like doing the Ali shuffle. <clears throat> and they got they get Jake in the back and like, what in the hell are you doing? He goes, he didn't have to come to work here tomorrow. I do. <clears throat> and it, I'm just kind of like Luger and the Giant feeding into Rodman and that sort of stuff here. Just it just annoys me because uh, I, I don't know if if. If there had been, like, shenanigans of, like, Rodman agreed to it, and then he's like, oh, hell, what did I get myself into? <clears throat> and so instead of him coming in and being like, oh, no, I'm doing this stuff, like, he comes in, and then he spends time, like, avoiding, like, getting in there or something. Like, I would be way more into that because he'd be like, I am out of my depth and should not be here. <clears throat> I don't know. It That's... See, but I feel... So where, where I'm going to defend this match against what you're saying, though, is... Rodman did get some moves on them, but Rodman never got consecutive moves on them because because of his limited knowledge. It's kind of like um, I'm, I'm going to kind of <coughs> the comparative I'm going to give this to is um, Flair Sting from the first clash in like sort yeah. of like a base concept. So he would get he would get a move on them and then he would go for the follow up. But because his arsenal and experience were so limited the second time he would go, he would try and go for what worked last time. But this, then, like, like, like the like the leapfrog where he got Luger on something. Yeah. Then, like, he went and did it again. But this time, Luger's like, "Oh, you did it again? Like, okay, well, I'm gonna just adjust. Oh, I just ran you over with a clothesline." Like, yeah, I know. And you're right. You are right. It's just something I don't like. The, the it 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 happens over and over again. Of 
someone comes into the wrestler's yard and then is suddenly like on par with them. But I don't. That, I don't feel that like just he was. Me. I don't feel like he was on par with them. I feel like. I feel like he had some brief moments because of his, and and we're talking about like a, an elite level athlete. So, and I feel like look wise, I feel like the look helped, like the his look gave him credibility because he was so big. It helped, but like what, what I'm saying is like so. Because he has athletic ability, he would get one over on them, but then he couldn't do it again because they were better than him. I know it, it, it's just it it rubs against one of the things I don't like on principle and I know that it's also about getting attention and drawing eyes and putting on a good show but it it, it just uh, it, it's something that just annoys me so and and to, to, why I'm comparing it to like um the the flare sting match from the first class so kind of like the storyline to that draw is like sting Sting is getting it over on Flair, but Sting doesn't have the know-how, the experience, or the arsenal yet to finish him off. He can only get him down, but he doesn't have he doesn't have that he doesn't have what it takes to like to win. Just to to pull the just to to go the limit with him. And I, I understand what you're saying. I do. It's it's just a personal thing. So well, I get what you're saying, but I'm saying like I think. Well, one, I think if this is WWE, they would have jobbed Lex Luger and Giant. But I think I think like they did a good job of like letting him get his moments. But like I feel like I don't feel like it hurt Luger and Giant in any way because like he never really got it over on them for long like he would just get a moment and then they would just be like oh, okay well you did that like oh you're going for that again well like dumbass you're not going to get that on me twice and just like boom yeah yeah it, you brought up WWF doing stuff do you remember the William Shatner appearances to promote Robo War and then like he would usually just stand there and hold uh hold Bret Hart's coat, but then in one match he just jumped in the ring and kicked the shit out of somebody. No, I don't remember. What, what year was this? Uh, whenever Robo War was supposed to be on USA. I think he did it, uh, like, maybe Road Dog or something. Oh. I don't remember that. Um, but, yeah, it it happened. I remember um, Pete Rose dressing up as the, was it the Phoenix Suns gorilla mascot and attacking Kane at a mania, and then Kane just, like, tombstoned uh, him? See, that's perfect. <laughs> was, was, that, was, that the, was that the Phoenix Suns mascot? I think so. I think it was. I remember laughing so hard at that when they unmasked it. It was Pete Rose. That that was whoever thought that up was was doing a good job. So, yeah. um, Matt, you you've it's you've been quiet. Do you wanting to jump in? Uh, just speaking generally about this match, like I I didn't overall like the the, the actual quality of the work. Because I'm a little bit more of like a, I guess kind of like a work rate, I don't want to say snob, but I appreciate the work rate more. Mm-hmm. But I did feel like as a spectacle, which I mean that is part of pro wrestling too. Like sometimes yeah. you need spectacles. I did think it was very, very effective as a spectacle. And I do, I mean this is, I was around for this time and I was watching wrestling. I mean this was 
like when in the, in the NWO was still like really, really hot. Mm-hmm. So I do remember this and I remember uh, how excited I was for this match. I didn't order this pay-per-view, but it was like a big deal. If you were like a wrestling fan, like this was like a huge thing. It was like, oh my God, like Dennis Rodman, like he's actually coming and it got attention. It got attention in the media, it brought a lot of eyes to the product. So yeah. um, I, I will give a, I'll give a credit. Like it's, it, this is like what you want for like a, at the time, obviously, uh, what you want for like celebrity involvement. I think it's always like you're always like kind of getting into like tricky territory when you're involving celebrities because wrestling is still like an underground thing. Let's be honest. Like even now, it's like it's still kind of considered like low entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did feel it was it worked. It was a, a big spectacle. It seemed like a big deal. The crowd was hot. I mean, it's I kind of chalk this up as almost like a curiosity um in the in the grand scheme of things the history of wrestling but uh i did i did like it appreciate it for what it was yeah who did who jackman that's punch fair out was that dolph probably because remember he he can he did the guest host and then he he managed like zach Ryder, and he like dressed up like with all the broski gear and then he punched someone out to help zach Ryder win like something like that where where you have a, a someone is jacked as Hugh Jackman just lands a good punch and knocks someone sideways cool down with that I'm I'm good I'm sorry if the audio plays but I have to know now I think it was Dolph but I have to look this up now <coughs> I had one last um, note about this what after you look that up go for it oh. it's um you got it I'm looking. Okay. At the end of this match, there is a run-in. And by the way, the announcers are talking. Are we honest to God supposed to believe that was staying? Like, really? It was Zach. It was it was Dolph. Did he find it? <laughs> <laughs> it was Dol- Dolph was staying? Like, no, yeah, it was Dolph right? Ziggler that he no. Jackman punched. I know. Um, yeah. This was obviously, like, Kevin Nash. The thing I didn't like, though, is, like, if they didn't... You just didn't really get paid off in the sense that you kind of didn't really make a big deal of it, and you yeah. didn't have like the real thing show up. Yeah, it happened the next night on. Yeah, Nitro, I was offended that it, it wasn't um, Jeff Farmer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's like, come on, yeah, honest to God, do you expect me to believe that? Because here he comes walking down there. It's obviously a wig. He steps over the top rope. Come on, I mean. Seriously, I did, and and the announcers are playing dumb the whole time. I did like when, um, because they were always obviously fake, but I mean it's not it's funny because of Owen. But when they would, they would do the bungee spots with the dummies, and they would just crash to the ground. <coughs> my yeah, my favorite yeah, though yeah. was when, um. I think it was from May of this year when Bischoff's just like talking mad smack about Sting and Sting comes up through the ring and just lays him out. Yeah. Oh god, that was so good. Or when they or I when they so I think they had a bunch of fake stings come out and Sting had like a fake mask on to make it look like he wasn't the real Sting and they took the mask off and it was real Sting and they all like freaked out. I remember that so well because they're all getting in the ring. And basically what's happening is the NWO guys hit them once and then they drop and roll out. So here here in roll Sting, Buff Bagwell hits him in the chest and then turns around to pose. 
And Sting looks down, looks at Bagwell, because nobody's looking at Sting. Everyone thinks that he's dropped and fallen out like everybody else. Peels the mask off, it's really Sting. And then they all turn and realize at the same moment that it's really Sting. And mm-hmm. he starts laying waste to him. I, I cheered and laughed loud enough that my parents got mad at me about that. It was it was great. If, um, if you've ever if you've ever listened to him on podcasts, I know Matt knows who I'm talking about, but Dylan Hales talks about the craziest thing he ever saw live was Uncensored '97, where Sting just destroys everyone. Yeah. He said like the building was like in a near riot and his brother was with him who wasn't even a fan was like running like up the the like up the aisle like high fiving like random people. Yeah. Oh, it was such a great moment. So what do we say about Bash ninety seven? Uh let's as a as a great as a full show. Uh I think I don't know, I, I, I told you guys I had weird feelings on the show because I don't think this show is bad by any means, but I don't think it's great. I would call it middle of the road, but it really, it scratched a nice little WCW itch for me. So I like, I really enjoyed this show, but I wouldn't call it good. And if someone said, Hey, should I watch this show? I'd be like, eh, I would watch Flair and Piper, but like, you won't feel bad about your, your three hours if you watch it. What do you think, Matt? I would actually give this show overall a thumbs up. Um, there, I, I kind of understand what Brad is saying. Like, there is no one match on this show because uh, I'm not. I'm immediately discounting Meltzer's ridiculous like four and a half oh, that for Jericho. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that, which would be like that's, that day, but it... I don't know. Yeah, no kidding. But there is no one match in this show that is like four stars and, and above to me like no four stars and above that it's like you should watch this pay-per-view for for like this match or because it has a multitude of matches of that caliber um but it is a it is a show that i i i don't think overall there is like a bad match on the show like i think the worst match in terms of work rate is probably the main event but that that has a whole spectacle, which is actually kind of worth watching just for that. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I didn't really care for like the Savage Hall DDP hitting match, but it's not terrible. And then after that, yeah, maybe like the maybe like the Lucha match and the Jarrett Michaels match were just. I actually enjoyed the Lucha match, but mm. those two matches are more like those are kind of like Nitro level matches. Um, but the rest, I think, is actually like good to really good. So, uh, I would actually give it like a thumbs up. Like, I don't. It's not like it's not amazing, but it's perfectly serviceable. Uh, right before the show, Brad was actually saying like it's kind of like watching a Clash of the Champions, which like I watched a lot of Clashes back in the day. Like I can get down with that. I think that's kind of like the right mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, Clash of the Champions was <laughs> before it kind of got ruined by like Nitro, where you would have like basically kind of pay per view quality matches, or at least like big matchups every mm-hmm. every week on television clash mm-hmm. was like it was like a free pay-per-view not as not as big as a pay-per-view but you get like some marquee matches it's kind of mm-hmm. like that it's it's it was more like you're you're getting like a good quality stuff in this 
this pay-per-view. So to mm. me, that's enough. It's not like one of those. It's not like WrestleMania 17. It's not like something no. like that where it's like, oh, my God, this is one of the best of all time. Or even a sh- even like a pay-per-view, like if you go back to like what, Super Bowl, like 92 or something where it's like you have to watch you have to watch Pillman Liger. It's like a classic. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. nothing like that. But there is enough here that's better than like your average Nitro. Mm-hmm. That I would say it is actually kind of worth your time watching. It's not even like to go through another one we watched that was WCW. It's not even like Great American Bash '96 where I'd say, well, you got to watch Benoit Sullivan just because it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. <coughs> I would. Um, you, you've got your obvious. You've got your your big events. You know, Starcade was a big event. Uh, stuff like that, and then you had your your intermediary pay-per-views that took places between the big events, right? This was a good intermediary pay-per-view. Like, you know, it had a big spectacle that got people's attention. It had good matches on it. A perfectly enjoyable way to spend some time watching wrestling. I'd, I'd give it a thumbs up too. So we get, uh, I'm, I'm down with so that. So we get like two thumbs up and I'm, I'm going to say like slight thumbs up. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I'm, my, 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 what I'm saying by middling, like I said, if you watch this show, you're not going to feel bad about your three hours. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Well, I would say that is um, that is Bash at the Beach 97. Uh, I kind of want to do more WCW at some point, honestly. There is something I was thinking I, I wanted yeah. to do in relation to this now. I got to say to the fan that requested, I, I actually do appreciate you requesting this. This was, this was nice. Uh, I liked it. So mm-hmm. I remember I was watching all the TV. I even was watching like pro, like, which was like Sunday nights on TVS at this time. Mm-hmm. Cause it used to be like, <coughs> just we'll spend a quick couple minutes on this and then call, go off. But like, I miss like the old days, like when I was watching this, because like, the weekend shows were like a nice primer to get you ready for Nitro and like the good matches. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, the weekend was like a lot of squashes and guys you didn't necessarily see on Nitro, but also like getting to see those mid range guys on Nitro, get some wins too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And then every now and then you get to have something fun. Like you get a, it's a non-finish, but you get a teaser of like DDP Henning or something. Yeah, like or that. you get like a like a Steiner's Harlem Heat match or something. Yeah, or you get Hole in One Barry Darso. That was later. <laughs> I know. He's a jerk. Kazuyoshi got the Hole in One. <laughs> I just love invoking <clears throat> Hole in One Barry Darso. Yeah, that was that was a great gimmick. Um. There's a lot of weird guys though that never like appeared on Nitro. Like, do you remember like Chip Mitten? No. He was on there a lot. Uh, the Pit Crew, which was uh, what was that? That was Chad Fortune and Dale Torborg, I think. Hmm. Okay. Vaguely kind of remember that. And um, oh crap! I'm trying to think. Like, there was Power Company that was like a jobber team, and then like the Border Patrol that was. That was Buddy Lee Parker. Who was the other guy in the Border Patrol? I don't know. Well, Buddy Lee Parker, too, was um, one. Oh, Doc Dean. 
think he was just a jobber though. Barry Horowitz would pop up here and there. I know even in this era, like Drake Valentine <coughs> was still doing some stuff, and um, what was his name? Jimmy Graffiti was Jimmy Del Rey before he got hurt. Oh yeah, it, I actually like it blew my mind when I found that out. Like years. They later. don't look anything alike. No, he looks completely different as Jimmy Graffiti. He was kind of—I mean, he was kind of like a jobber, but he actually. He would pop up like you could, you could see him on like Thunder or Nitro sometimes. You also got to see um, it talents that they they kind of wanted to push but never did on anything other than Saturday Night, like like Bobby Walker. <laughs> Hard work, Bobby Walker. I remember his uh, <laughs> his tag team with Bobby Eaton for a while. Because remember, because it's something I don't think ever showed up on Nitro, but I loved like. Um, Teddy Long and his stable like jobbers to the stars because it was like he had like Bobby Eaton, hard work Bobby Walker, uh, Jimmy Powers or Jim Powers, yeah. which is Jim Powers. Sorry. Yeah. Man, Jim Powers, what a long career with like nothing to show for it, like win wise. Yeah. The, I mean, let's be realistic. Like the best thing he did was probably like the most notable thing was like the Young Stallion. Yeah, because even. Tag team he did. Even Paul Roma got one over on him because Power and Glory was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh man, like there's right. so, there we we might need to just do a random Saturday night at some point and see like what weird guys pop up. Ooh, Lenny Lane. <laughs> yeah. Like, we should. Yeah. I actually I it's it God only knows where it is. It's with it's buried somewhere with all my like wrestling DVDs, which I have like way too many. Um, but I, I, at one point, I think off like the DVD VR board, I bought like the entire run of like 1992, uh, WCW Saturday year. night. Cause that's got those, um, Oh, it was great. Cause year. it has, they're doing yeah. that two out of three falls gimmick. So you're like guaranteed a good, like a good, like feature match every week at least. Look, Matt Bourne was actually a, a legit good wrestler. Um, but when he was in WCW, he did like that, that absolutely ridiculous oh, Big oh Josh God, yeah. gimmick where he was a wrestling lumberjack. But I remember in 1992, I, 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 back in the day, like I even had this match like on videotape, like VHS. But he had a fantastic like two out of three falls match with Arn Anderson, and it was just two like really good pro wrestlers just like working their ass off. Which it's like there is kind of a it, it's almost like surreal because it's like you have art anderson and then he's wrestling a, a, a lumberjack but it's like awesome wrestling so you're like this this is weird but it worked i've actually considered it would be a lot of watching for us and i'll throw it out here if you're still listening at this point and you you like this idea <laughs> i've thought about us doing at some point for an episode calling it a week in the life of and then for that show, watching all of like the WWF or all of the WCW TV for that week, and mm-hmm. then going through it sequentially and talking about it. I know for WCW that'd be a little hard, and I'd try and keep it to like <coughs> a year where they only have like five or six hours of shows instead of like when they had like Prime Jeez. and like like there's some yeah. crazy years with WCW. Like they get obscene with the TV some years, but like if we picked a 97 week, which I think we do, we would just have to watch main event worldwide Saturday night, um, pro and nitro and main events, mostly a clip show. So I think we'd have to like, I think we'd have to give ourselves like a breathe, like a, I think we'd have to double record. So we have a week off to do that, but I think that would be a really fun little, yeah little romp 
Okay. Maybe we should do the week that um, Goldberg fights uh, John Nord on Worldwide. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap up this episode. I want to say thank you all for being with us. Thank you for the request that was sent in to us. If you have a request, please send it through our social media. Um, we would love to hear from you. <clears throat> and this has been Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we will see you next time.